Welcome in the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we're here one final time to recap SEC Media Days. We got Tennessee. We got South Carolina. We got Ole Miss to close out the event. Finally caught up on everything I missed. And, oh yeah, a lot of interviews. This is going to be another Mondo one. We got... Austin Price and Eric Kaner from VolQuest. Kane also the host of the Locked On Vols podcast. Who South Carolina, we got a trio of guys. Ben Portnoy from the state. Mike Yuva from Gamecock Central. And Chris Phillips, Spurs Up show. Ole Miss, we got our buddy Michael Katz. And then two all-SEC interviews to, to round out the week. J.D. Pickall from On3 does a hell of a job. It's great meeting him. And our buddy Chad Withrow, host of Hop Mike on Outkick. So let's just get right into the action. Loaded, loaded show. And got to start with them Tennessee Vols coming off an 11-win season. A lot of buzz there in Nashville with Josh Heupel, Joe Milton. I had actually heard Joe Milton got more interview requests than Josh Heupel, believe it or not. So, just a ton of buzz with the Vols. Can they keep it rolling? Most people think they can. I'm about to find out. And there's two common themes with the Vols. People questioning them, thinking it was a one-hit wonder. Hannon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, Darnell Wright off to the NFL. Tennessee's going to take a step back. That's what some people think. Other people think, hell, they sure – no one had Tennessee winning 11 games last year, yet they got that done, won the Orange Bowl. Some people have them as the second-best team in the country when Hendon Hooker was healthy. No one saw that coming. So can they take that next step with a defense that should be better, deeper, more talented? A lot of running backs back. You may not know all the names at receiver, but they, they're probably deeper as a receiving core this year than they've ever been under Josh Heupel. And I really thought Tennessee fans would appreciate this question. What's it going to take to close that gap? Josh Heupel's done it as a player. He's won a national championship. What's it going to take for Tennessee to get there? Let's kick it over to Josh Heupel. A couple times today how hungry your football team is and not satisfied from last year. As a player, you won a national championship. What will you try to impart to them about the challenge of going from where you are now to the top of the mountain? Yeah, when we first started, um, we were way behind. And in some simple steps, you can make up, you know, big ground, yards at a time, let's say. And uh, the higher you get, the tougher it is. The more attention to detail, the more the nuances are of what you're trying to make up. They become inches, and the inches are tougher to make up than the yards are. And being real um, transparent and open with them about, you know, where we're at and where we got to get to. And... Our guys have worked extremely hard. Uh, there's been a heightened sense of urgency. You can see that in the weight room. You can see it on the field in the meeting room. You can see it in their off-the-field behavior. Um, now, we've had three good phases, three good quarters of offseason. we got got another one left. We've got to have a great training camp. And, uh, and then you got to be able to reset and play week to week. You don't have to be the best team in the country uh, week one. you got to be better than the team you're playing every week. And, you know, that's got to be the mission. 
Now, they're obviously not going to win any championships playing defense like they did against South Carolina. I mean, everybody's making that joke all offseason long. I get it. But I think, and we've been preaching it on this show, the defense for Tennessee has gotten better. Of the 12 FBS teams they played last year, Tennessee held nine of them under their average total. And we're talking teams like LSU, Georgia, Kentucky, Clemson. These are not jokes of of teams. Missouri, throw them in there too. Shut out Vanderbilt. So it's not like Tennessee's defense is god-awful. They were god-awful for one game, sure, but that's the one everyone remembers. Uh, Josh Heupel on what it's going to take for Tennessee not to have that South Carolina-type performance. Take that next step. Not They're probably never going to be the stronger side of the ball. Uh, let's not kid ourselves under Josh Heupel, but as long as they are a capable unit, force some turnovers, get to the quarterback, Tennessee's going to be one hell of a dangerous team. Yeah, Coach, you guys had an electric offense last year. You were able to constantly put up points. You had several <coughs> track meets, it seemed like, last year. Um, but defensively, there did seem to be some struggles there where you had a lot of those high-scoring games. This year, what kind of is the focus to allow the defense to continue to build as well? And where are you guys trying to improve most to be able to have as much bite as your offense does? Yeah, year one to year two, we took a, a lot of great strides uh, defensively, too. Uh, in particular, uh, effectiveness against the run. Uh, we uh, became top 20 defense in, in that statistically. Um, I think we were first or second in zero negative yard plays uh, in turnovers. Um, so there's a lot of positives. Um, in the games that we didn't play where we're capable of, um, we got to get better defending the pass, and we got to do a better do- job on third downs, really third and longs, third and seven plus. Um, and both of those things are affected by you know playing elite in the secondary, right, your corners, your safeties. A year ago, um, no excuses. Um, We were banged up. That was in spring ball. It was in training camp. It was during the course of the season. Um, we got to stay healthy. We have more competition. I think that lends itself to us taking a step uh, in that area. And then you also have to be able to affect the quarterback, not just with pressures, but with your front four. And uh, through addition of, of personnel, and development under Coach Gardner and Coach Eckler. I feel like we've made a stride there, too. So the anticipation uh, that I have uh, for our defense is to take another step to play elite defense. Uh, that will happen uh, while we're there. And uh, looking forward to seeing it. we got great leadership. believe in Coach Banks, our defensive staff, and uh, I love the guys that we have on that side of the football. Uh, our personnel has done a great job this offseason. Think and know that we'll take another step. Coach, thank you very much. And then last but not least, I couldn't not play this one. little Mike Leach story here from Coach Heupel. Mike Leach, if you don't know, recruited Heupel to Oklahoma. The year they won the national championship, Mike Leach was no longer on staff. I believe he was – maybe that's when he got his first head coaching job or something. I can't remember. But I know he left there. But still, they remained close. And a lot of what Heupel's system is based on, the passing concepts at least – come from Mike Leach's system that he learned their first year together at Oklahoma. wanted to ask about Mike Leach. At one point uh, during the season last year, I spoke with Coach Leach, and he talked about your offense and a couple of plays looking very familiar. So uh, I wanted to ask you maybe your best Mike Leach story, sir. I'm sure he had something to say about my athleticism <laughs> during, the, during that comment, too. Uh, man, Mike, um, you know, I talked to him three weeks uh, you know, before his passing about there and 
<clears throat> like most conversations, put the phone on the table, put it on speaker, and, and just kind of listen. My wife was shaking her head, but, uh, you know, full of stories and, and uh, you know, had a great night with him, uh, you know, a year while he was sitting out of football. Uh, I was in uh, Norman at the time, but he came back and, you know, talked with the offensive staff in, in particular, and, you know, we had a great night going out and, and having fun and just kind of sharing stories. He, uh, I mean, you guys know he's a great storyteller and, and one of the great personalities in college football. Changed the way the, the game was played on a wide spectrum, um, being able to, to see the game played in space, which it, it currently is. And also, I had, I had to play this clip, too. Joe Bilton asked, how far can he throw that ball? He's not even sure how far he can sling that damn peak skin. Mobile, Alabama. I know in the summertime you, you work on your game constantly, but at the Manning Passing Academy, you were able to launch an absolute rocket close mm-hmm. to 80 yards, standing still. What is the furthest you've thrown and feel comfortable throwing the football? Uh, <laughs> um, I actually don't know the furthest I can throw the ball. Uh, I kind of just let it go. Uh, it's a mindset thing. Um, once you, as a quarterback, once you feel like, oh, somebody's too far, then they're going to be too far from you, right? I kind of just let it go, no matter where they're at. <laughs> I just had to play that one. And I have to throw it to great interview here, Austin Price. Man, this this is a, a long time coming. I've been a huge, huge fan of Austin and the Volcrest crew for years and years and years. Really kind of surreal that I get to actually interact with these people and exchange text messages and whatnot with them but let's kick it over first time on the show Austin Price from VolQuest it's an honor Austin Price VolQuest the go-to site for all things Tennessee Austin thanks so much for joining me man appreciate it appreciate it we can just talk Morristown East and Jeff County football in the next <laughs> 15 minutes I thought we were in Hardy's there for a minute <laughs> Let me ask you, Austin, how big of a fan are you of Mark Stoops and Kentucky football? I know, I know that's one of your favorites there. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think he's done a phenomenal job. You know, he got mad when he was on the nation one year, um, you know, because I referenced, you know, how far he's brought them. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he was just tired of that narrative. And I'm yeah. like, how, how do you get tired of the narrative that you've done a good job? I mean, they were a doormat forever, and all of a sudden they were really competitive. I think they're going to be much more competitive this year. Yeah. Like, they're my team that I, I'm not sure that – it equates in wins, but I think that they will be the fly in somebody's ointment because I think Leary is, is, is a really solid quarterback, and I think that, that you, you had you know, putting Cohen back up there. I just think that, that Kentucky will be more formidable this year than they ever were a year ago. I think that's the nicest thing I've ever heard you say about Kentucky. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I, I'm just a straight shooter. I kind of call it like yeah, I yeah. see it. So, I mean – you know, again, I think he's done a phenomenal job. I do think there's a ceiling there. I think it gets harder um, now that he's going to be going into a schedule that, you know, isn't necessarily conducive with a Mississippi State every year. Uh, it will get harder. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think everybody's kind of got him pigeonholed uh, for that Iowa job because he played up there uh, whenever Ferentz gets out if he wants to coach that long. My thing is, you know, Stoops – He's kind of got some other, you know, interests outside of football that he's doing. And, and so how long does he want to stay in coaching? Or is he more like his brother who wants to get out at a decent age and enjoy life? Because he seems like he – Stoops feels like to me a guy that would be really fun to just go for a weekend trip with. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. you know, seems like a, a, a genuinely good guy who just, again, you know, got tired of the narrative that Kentucky had, you know, improved a lot. Yeah. 
Do you share a bank account with your father, like some Tennessee assistant? No, <laughs> no. Allegedly, no. allegedly. I do not. Can you believe that? Could you believe that? That was the, the excuse. You know, I mean, hey, you know, if you're trying to protect and um, you're trying to come up with a good reason, I mean, I've heard worse, worse tales. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm I'm not totally surprised um, that that was kind of the, the the avenue trying to protect himself, trying to protect, you know, um, you know Jeremy and, and and you know, get out as clean as one can get out of that mess. Yeah, but it, now that, that that's over them though, I mean they just landed a five star Mike Matthews. Sure. Uh, there's probably more coming. How big? I mean Tennessee was already in the fast lane, so to speak. How much? For, you know, quicker, faster, can they get there now that they don't have this crap hanging over them? Well, I don't think it's really hung over them this year. I think it hung over them that 22 year um, when it was the Dallin Hayden, Ty Simpson, uh, Jordan James, Isaiah Horton, all those in-state kids, and really all the kids in, in that class, but specifically the in-state kids because you're around it every day. You're around Tennessee fans every day and Tennessee media every day, and you hear about this and that. And all these schools, I had numerous – uh, recruits that year tell me that schools were saying four-year show calls or four-year bowl ban, five-year bowl ban, you know. Um, and, and kids, you know, Tennessee couldn't go, that's not true. Yeah, You couldn't officially say that because right. you don't know. And if you're a, a parent or a kid and you're really ignorant on how it all works, who are you going to believe, the team that's under investigation or the team that's not? Right. And so, like, it really hampered them that first year. I think there are several – um, and I've talked to several people that look at Tennessee and think, if I had known that they were going to flip it, yeah. things would be different. Yeah. But they're not. And Tennessee's moved on, and they moved on nicely. And, and again, I don't think it's hampered them this year. Um, you know, I think it was important for Hypel and company to be on the phone, and they were. I mean, the moment it got released, I mean, Hype's on the phone with all these different recruits, especially the ones that were – set to announce this week, next week, you know, making them understand, hey, I'm going to fill in the blanks. Here's what all this means. You don't feel it. Hype talked about that when he met with the media here in Nashville. You know, the recruits haven't felt this, just like the fans don't feel it. The fans didn't know that that there were no recruits at the two Thursday openers the last two years. You know, I mean, fans don't feel the $8 million fine. Fans don't know that, you know, Tennessee can't make recruiting phone calls for a week. They don't see any of that stuff. The only thing they feel, and really the only thing that, that recruits feel to a degree, is the bowl ban, and, and Tennessee didn't get that. They won't feel the rest of the stuff. Tennessee might feel a little bit when you know, you're looking at being at 82 versus 85. I know that's only three, but you know if you're thin at a position and you have some injuries, those three extra scholarships could have been three extra safeties or defensive tackles or whatever, but uh, – you know, I don't think, you know, the, the common person, the common fan, um, or the common recruit feels any of this. Do mm-hmm. you think they make up for that, though, maybe with NIL? Good. You know, helping some yeah. of these kids, these preferred walk-ons? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely could. I mean, I think you've seen that a lot, a lot across college football where, you know, a high-end player who could probably be a group of five, mm-hmm. a high-end group of five player, ends up, instead of signing a group of five, ends up walking on through NIL and basically is a, a scholarship guy at Power 5 programs. Yeah. And you see how it goes for a couple of years, and that kid may go, yeah, I just want to play, and I'm going to go back to the group of five. Or he may be very content, or he may develop and end up being a Power 5 player. Um, either way, I think it's, it, it's, uh, it behooves you know, 
all teams to use NIL if they're able to, if they have enough cash to get get it all going to, you know, pay for, you know, a handful of kids that, you know, would normally be walk-ons, but then basically on scholarship through NIL. Right, right. How uniquely positioned is Tennessee with this incredible fan base? Hell, they, they feel that Neyland Stadium when the team was garbage. And now they're elite. I mean, I didn't see 11 wins coming. I don't know about you. I thought best case scenario last year, nine. We, you got a fan base dying for, for wins. You're right, getting close to the cusp. NIL, Spire Sports leading the way. Is Tennessee uniquely positioned to win a national championship in the next five to ten years? I, I think that you have to have so much luck involved. I mean, look, look at the Georgia teams that couldn't get past Alabama. And those were really good teams. And now, I mean, they've won two back-to-back. But, I mean, there were some Georgia teams that easily could have won it. Phillip had teams at Tennessee in the 90s and in early 2000s that were good enough to do it, but they, you know, failed to win this game or that game, and it was a stumbling block. So, I mean, you know, who knows if they can get there. I think that they're positioned to be a factor. And I think that that's a good thing for Tennessee. I mean, you know, you talk about not seeing it coming. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody could sit there and say last year they thought that they were going to win 10-plus games. Not honestly. I mean, like, they hadn't won more than eight in a regular season since 2007. You know, I mean, I was fresh out of college, and, you know, you were, you know, in college, and you were fresh out of college too. So, I mean, like, you know, now I'm 40. So, I mean, like, you know, know what I mean? Like, it's like, I mean, I I just – it was such a long time. You know, even Butch's good teams, you know, which were, you know – you know, full of Tennessee players, right? He hit on that first class. He got lucky with uh, the Dobbs kind of fell on his lap, and then you know finally got on the field after you know he, he was a you know a bad player. He couldn't play in practice. Um, then he got on the field and he balled, um, and he had Cam Sutton. But then a lot of those other teams were you know you know Josh Malone, Jalen Hurd, yeah. um, you know Derek Barnett, you know Todd Kelly Jr. Who you know didn't play professionally, but you go back. I mean Todd Kelly Jr. has got like a dozen picks. I mean. Warren Burrell's played three-plus years as a starter at corner. He has as many picks as you and I. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, Todd Kelly Jr. was a player. I mean, again, he didn't play professionally, but he played at a pretty high level in the SEC um, as far as being a playmaker. So, you know, you, you look at those teams, they still found ways to lose games. And so to be able to get to that point where you finally got over the hump and you won those games, you won 11, can they do that again this year? Can they, can they build upon that and not just be a flash in the pan? And I know you're really high on Joe Milton and what he can do in this offense. The buzz is growing again. What, what's realistic expectations for Milton? You know, I, I think if – you know, I've said the last month or two, if Joe Milton can play well and be – you know, Tennessee goes 9-3, and 10-2, and two, he's going to – you know, he's, he's going to be elite at his pro day. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the intangible or the, the you know, the, the physical tools are, you know, going to be jumping off the page. So I think he's, you know, you know – top 15 pick, you know, maybe even a top 10 pick at that point, um, you know, if, if that happens. I, th- I think, you know, for Joe, it's just about settling it in and having the lows not be that low. If, if that happens, you know, I think that, you know, Tennessee's going to win some football games this year. I think the, the start is key. I think Tennessee's going to beat Virginia, and they'll be undefeated. Everyone's talking about UTSA. Hype's done a pretty good job of, you know, they, 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 they take care of the business against, you know, yep. the, other, the, the lesser teams. It's beating Florida for the first time in Gainesville since 03. You know, you do that. I, I've said this a handful of times. <laughs> if you told Heupel, you only get one win, but you get to pick it, and you get to pick it by as, as much as you want to win by. 
I think he's picking South Carolina. Oh, I'm glad you went there. I, think I thought he's, you were taking up Florida. Like, no, I think he's picking South Carolina. So, okay, let's say you, you win that one. Then the X Factor game is A&M. Like, what are they? You know, and, and I think by second week of October, you kind of have an idea. Is this marriage between, you know, Petrino and Jimbo going to work? And if it does, then that's a really tough game. If it's not, then, you know, I mean, Tennessee's got a chance to be win that one, be undefeated. They've got a chance to win that game regardless. But – I think it becomes a little more cloudy if if A and M because A and M I think talent wise is just about as good as anybody in, in the league, yeah. and um, and so I think that's a that's an X factor game. I think Tennessee can win at Alabama this year, uh, but again that's doing something for the first time since '03 since Tennessee won that five overtime game down there with Casey Kloss and on fourth and seventeen to C.J. Phaeton, you know, again doing things that you hadn't done in a while. They did them last year. Who's to say they can't do them this year? If it's clear and sunny when Georgia comes to town, do you think maybe there's a shot that they beat the Georgia Bulldogs? Well, I mean, again, with this offense, I think it's possible to do anything, yeah. especially if, if, if the quarterback is dealing. And who's to say that Joe don't have that type of day? Now, Joe could also have one of those kind of clunker games and Tennessee loses a game they shouldn't. But I think that, that you know, again, managing his highs and lows and, you know, Georgia – you know, everybody doubted them last year uh, to a degree, right? They, they knew they were going to be a, a playoff team, but I'm not sure they anybody thought that they were going to, you know, do what they did and just roll everybody. I'm sure they're going to try to manufacture that they've been left behind again and, and little old Georgia's not predicted. But Georgia will be picked to win the East yeah. by hands, a landslide. Right. And, you know, again, what does their quarterback position look like? I mean, yeah. you know, Stetson Bennett, for all the – detractors and naysayers he just played man I mean he made a ton of good throws I mean he was super crafty and you know again nothing was flashy he just just did it right I want want to ask because Nico obviously a hot name in Knoxville and you know you think about some of the games last year that maybe Hooker you're you're saying why is he not pulled yet you know do you think we got a little bit of a a shorter leash. I mean, not saying that that Milton's going to be in trouble or anything like that, but I'm saying if we get a nice, sizable lead, do you think we get Nico in there sooner than, than maybe years past? Yeah, I do think that, that they're going – I don't think they're going to worry about, like, let's only play him in four games because we've got to redshirt him. Like, I don't, right. no one expects Nico to be here five years, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and you don't want him to be. You want him to be who you hope he is because um, if that's the case, then he's, you know, three and out of here and you're moving on to the next guy. Um but I think you, you want to get him in as much as you can. I think in a perfect world, Joe plays well. Tennessee gets up in a bunch of games. Nico gets a bunch of run in those games. He gets a bunch of run in the, the you know, dud games. And then yeah. we'll see what happens in league play. But I think you want to try to push him in there as much as possible because right. you want him to go in, you know, again, providing that Joe is good Joe. Um, you know, you want him to go into 24 with as much experience as possible. Right. You know, you don't want him rolling in there having only played, you know, kind of mop up dude you'd love to you know have him in there you know going against some decent defenses yeah. you know at some point and so yeah I think in the perfect world and I think for for Nico for his family I think they would love if you know, Joe, Joe's good Joe Nico kind of you know wades into the pool at the steps and doesn't get thrown into the deep end and say swim right what win would be bigger for Josh Heupel in his Tennessee program beating Georgia two-time national champ they're, they're going to be undefeated more than likely when they come to Neyland or winning in Tuscaloosa, breaking the back of Nick Saban, beating Alabama two years in a row after not beating them for damn near two decades. Which which one of those do you think would be bigger for, for the program? Well, how does the rest of the schedule look? 
If you, if you, if you, if you tell me that Tennessee's not going to lose any other game but Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. then I'll tell you beating Georgia because that means you're going to Atlanta. Yeah. You know, um, you know, if you're telling me that Tennessee's going to have another blip on the radar, I would – if I was Tennessee, I would rather lose to Georgia, have one more blip on the radar, and, you know, and win at Alabama. Yeah, and maybe get into the playoff there with an yeah. 11-1 record. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of my thought is, like, you know, if you, if you knew you were guaranteed to go to Atlanta, I'll tell you Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, it's, if, 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 if Atlanta's off the table, which means you're going to have a hiccup – um, besides the Alabama game, I think that, you know, you would go Alabama. Isn't it wild, though, that we're sitting here and we're, we're throwing out these hypotheticals when, I mean, people are being like, what are you smoking? If we're, if we're saying this two years ago about, well, they're going to beat Alabama yeah. or Georgia, you know what I mean? Well, because Tennessee hadn't done it. You know, I mean, they had beaten Georgia, you know, um, fairly frequently up till 2016. They've not done it since. Um, but, you know, Tennessee hadn't beaten Alabama since, you know, 06. And only, you know, one time since 04, and then same thing with, you know, Florida. You, know, you had the, you know, the 16 game, and until last year it was, you know, that was the one the one shining moment from all the way back to 04 and Will Hoyt and the field goal. And so, uh, you know, to, to beat Florida, to beat Alabama, to beat LSU, to beat Clemson all in one year, it's almost like, you know, everybody now feels, you know, oh, vindicated. You still got to go win at Florida for, for the first time since 03. Florida's down. But they look at Tennessee differently than they look at other teams. They feel like, oh, you know, we've won this game 17 in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to win this game. And they play differently. Is there a, a, you know, one thing about High Point Company, they, they have a great way of identifying young talent, getting them out there on the field. Is there a name that you're thinking about that maybe a lot of folks aren't right now but will be at the end of the season? You know, I, I look on, you know, I think Arion Carter is a guy that's going to play a lot of football for Tennessee this fall. Um, you know, is he going to start? I mean, I think that depends on injuries. Uh, I think Tennessee starts the season definitely with Beasley and Peely at, at linebacker, and I think Arion and Herring are, are, you know, right there pushing those guys. Um, I'm interested to kind of see what happens up front. I think this is a contract year for Tyler Barron. Um, I think he knows that. I think it's a contract year for several of those guys. I mean, in reality, this is kind of a an odd year because up front on the offensive side, you lose John Campbell at the end of this year. You lose Cooper Mays at the end of this year, more than likely. I mean, he could come back yeah. for a COVID year, but probably not. Same thing with Spragans. Jackson Lampley, Ollie Lane. You can keep going right down the list. All of a sudden, there's a huge turnover on the offensive line. Yeah. On the defensive line, you've got Bryson Eason, who could go after this year if he had a decent year. I mean, he's got could technically come back for two more, but he could also go. Uh, right. Big O, same thing, could come back, but more than likely not. Elijah Simmons, I mean, is he really going to come back for another year next year? I mean, probably not. And so all of a sudden there's a lot of change on the defensive line. So you really need some of those younger guys, whether it be Tyrese Weathersby, Tyree West, David Hobbs, to step up. And I, I think it's a lot easier to step up on the offensive line – or, sorry, on the defensive line than it is on the offensive line. I'm just – the younger offensive linemen, I think there's some big question marks there. about. Yeah. I mean, I think Addison Nichols is the most likely candidate to be that locked-in guy – but I don't think you can 100% say, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to be a starter next year. Right. I mean, I think it would help if he kind of got to get into that guard competition in fall camp. Like he, Right now he's basically been put in the, you know, hey, beat Cooper's backup and, like, focus everything you have on center. Yeah, I'd love to see them say, hey, go compete for that left guard spot. It's open to Ollie Lane and, and Andre Carrick and some of those other guys. 
go battle for that and see what happens. You know, because yeah. I think last year I think he kind of went through the motions because he knew he wasn't going to play. And I think you need him invested. Some kids, if you know they're not going to play, just kind of go through the motions. Yeah. And you need a kid that you know feels like, okay, hey, I'm competing for this. Let's go. Let's go see what happens. And I think that you need that across the board. You know, offensively. I think Ethan Davis and McAllen Castles can be guys that are playmakers for Tennessee. Um, everybody's going to talk about Jake Warren, and rightfully so. Uh, but I think those two players can can can, can kind of combine to have a really nice year and be that kind of Princeton fan combo guy. Yeah. Um, not necessarily they're going to take handoffs because I don't think that's the case. <laughs> he was a true jack jack of all trades, jack. You know, but uh, you know, I think they can be a nice combination to fill that role left by Princeton fan. And then a receiver, I think everybody just kind of knows what they're going to be, right? Yeah. I mean, I just don't – you know, Cam Selden's had a really good offseason. Again, right. how much can he get on the field, though? Got a lot of older guys ahead of him. Yeah. Last thing for you, Austin, your chance to bury Billy Napier if you want to do it. Does, does he survive, you think? I mean, if they're awful again, the fans down there are crazy. Georgia's awesome. LSU's on the rise. Tennessee, South Carolina on the rise. Florida State on the rise. I mean, I think those those fans are saying the right things now. But if he's five and seven, I, I think they're going to be done. They're saying the right things now because he's done he's done a phenomenal job recruiting this off season. You know, yeah. um, and and I think some of them are some of those kids they've gotten are are nice rankings more so than like okay that guy's a dude right like I think that you know, Tennessee's had a few of those over the years where you're like optically this guy's good for the class. Now he's probably two or three years away, and you know um, I think. You know, that's, that could be the case a couple of times with Georgia or with Florida. Uh, I, they start with Utah, and then, of course, they've got Tennessee in September. Like, what are they leaving the month of September? If, if, if they are a struggle bus leaving the month of September, I think it's, uh, it, it's Katie barred the door. Because you're right. I mean, LSU, Florida, Florida State. I mean, that's the thing for right now. Like, we, we talk about Kentucky. We started this, you know, talking about Kentucky. Kentucky's had the benefit of a kind of a crappy Louisville. Mm-hmm. Brom ain't going to have a crappy Louisville. They'll be competitive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Florida all of a sudden has a pretty competitive Florida State. And yeah. that is not good when you're trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps because you've not been very good. Mm-hmm. Before you go, Austin, tell the audience, where can they find all your work? You can go to VolQuest.com, the On3 network, uh, the Tennessee On3 site, and uh, – you know, we've, uh, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. That's September 1st, which was game day last year, and because Tennessee moved that game to Thursday. And, uh, you know, it won't be game day this year, but uh, you know, a lot of cool stuff over there. Um, we've got Vol Club Confidential coming back here in the month of August, which is a great one-on-one that I get to do with a player or coach uh, that, you know, we, we do through, uh, you know, Tennessee's collective. Um, you know, we've got all kinds of neat content. We have a Sunday night show on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Subscribe to VolQuest. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good time to be a Vol fan right now. Tennessee 11-2 and see if they can build off of it. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. And then another great Tennessee. So thanks, Austin. Really appreciate you joining the show. If you missed it, I was on the VolQuest podcast this week. Go back and check that out. But also from VolQuest and from Locked On Vols, had Eric Kane back on the show, first time in person. This was a fun one, too. Let's kick it over to our interview with Eric Kane. All right, we're here with Eric Kane, Paul Quest, Locked On Balls. How's it going, brother? Man, uh, again, I'm refreshed. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm coming in for the last little section of the week. But, no, it's, uh, 
It's good to be here and see all you guys again. Yeah, and we've had people, Tennessee fans, of course, excited for today, and many have said you got to get Eric Kane on. So I'm glad you <laughs> stopped by, and I'm sure everybody's asking you about the NCAA penalties. They got it right, didn't they? Come on, yeah, come on. Yeah, even Lane Kiffin said that. Did you hear him in there? It's really fortunate, too, because a couple years ago, of course, they changed the you know, the NCAA committee, essentially said, hey, we don't want to punish kids who weren't here who broke the rules, essentially. Yeah. And, I mean, 18-1 level violations, that should have been a year or two postseason ban, right? Right. But because they had that amendment and because Tennessee was so, you know, active in you know, cleaning house and, you know, literally paying $2.3 million for the investigation and then saying, hey, NCAA, here you go. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Oh, also this, this too, you know. Um, I think that all helped Tennessee out. But I think last Friday it was – Really, good. Tennessee got the news that it wanted no bowl ban. I think they were prepared to, to go and fight, you know, go, right. go, go to court if, if a bowl ban came down. But, you know, $8 million fine, 28 scholarships. You've already done 18, you know, lack of you know, official visits and all that. Uh, of course, the show causes. But I, I think Tennessee can finally just move on. And, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of recruiting, this should, you know, officially say, okay, you know, if I'm a high school recruit right now I and mean, I'm a sophomore and I'm thinking, well, if I were to go to Tennessee, could I play for a college football national championship? The answer is absolutely you yeah. can now. And that's going to be huge for Hyde. Let me ask you, we had Mike Griffith on the other day, and he said they went too hard on Jeremy Pruitt. Do you think they went too hard on him? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I say this. I mean, I, I've got no issue with Jeremy Pruitt. We didn't have many interactions, but every yeah. time we did, I mean, he stand-up guy, you know, when I was with him. But, I mean, you're seeing some of the stuff in these reports, and you, re- you read those documents and, you know, the Knox News and Knoxville's and the – a fantastic job kind of uncovering all that, going through emails and text messages, and you're like, I mean, yeah, you're breaking the rules, but you're being really bad at it too. So in <laughs> the, the depths you go, and and a lot of this was, you know, kind of kind of pinning all this on young guys, and, yeah. you know, young assistants and, you know, recruiting staffers who if you speak up, you're fired most likely. And it's, yeah. just, it's, it's just kind of a sad situation in that regard. So in my opinion – um, no, uh, maybe you could have retroactive the show cause because it's been out of coaching for two and a half years. Yeah. But uh, six year show cause, I'd say that's about fair. And I think you hit on the most important aspect of this whole thing because Tennessee, they're already in the fast lane, so to speak. Yeah. This has the opportunity. It, it is going to give them even more momentum. They just landed a five star. You think that's, you know, that has to be in part because. There's no no postseason ban, and like you said, they can play for a championship now. Yeah, potentially. You know, Tennessee's been right there with Mike Matthews for a while now, and I think that's um, you know, it's credit to, to Josh Heupel and Kelsey Pope, the wide receivers coach. Um, you know, he's such an unbelievable talent can really go up and go up in the air and hang, just hang there, and and, and you know, come down with the ball and win. You know, contested catches and 50-50 balls, and yeah. really nice guy off the field as well. But I mean, we're talking about a top 30. Two player in the country, yeah. Number three player out of Georgia, number four at his position. Um, Tennessee got a good one, and, and it's weird because you thought that these type of recruiting wins were going to come last year. You know when yeah. they got Nico, <laughs> but really those kind of came on the defensive side of the football. But uh, really nice receiver. Um, you know, guy I work with Matt Ray. I'm sure you guys are yeah. familiar with his work. He, you know, he said, hey, he said it the entire time, not just yesterday, but the entire time. He said, hey, in my opinion. You know, from a valuation standpoint, I think he's one of the most talented guys in this class maybe. Wow. So, a uh, wow. huge win, huge win for Tennessee. And it keeps the ball rolling. You got the news you wanted on Friday. Get a five-star this week. We'll see what happens with Evan Spillman on Friday. And yeah. uh, who knows, maybe this will be a top-ten class. Well, I think it's funny, Eric, that so many people are saying, well, yeah, but they got to replace Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman. Well, this time last year we were sitting around saying, would Jalen Hyatt ever live up to the potential? Yeah. And I'm not – 
asking you if there's another Bolitnikov winner because that's such a difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. But who's the breakout receiver on this team? Because they got a couple options here. They do. Um, could you call Brew McCoy breakout? I mean, he had a solid year last year. Right, he was right. second on the team in receptions. But I, I guess how I'll phrase this, you know, in 2021 it was Tillman. 2022 it was Hyatt. You know, I think this is going to be Brew McCoy's year, right? Mm -hmm. uh, really solid. I think they forgot about him sometimes last year. <laughs> when, when you have Tillman healthy in the lineup, you have a Hyatt, of course. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say uh, Brew McCoy, just really solid overall. You can see why he was a five-star coming out of high school. Um, you look at Dante Thornton, who I think is going to be a stud. Yeah. Long, explosive, coming out of the slot as well, which there's versatility. You can go to the outside as well, too. But uh, coming over from Oregon where he was just starting to figure it out there late in that 2022 season, he was already going to go to the portal. And I, I just think the sky's the limit for him in this offense. So I think Brew McCoy is going to be the headliner, but I think Dante Thornton's going to have a really solid season for Tennessee. And do you think Ramel Keaton arguably could be the most underrated player on this team? I know Maybe. You yeah. and I have talked about it. Probably the biggest catch of last season against Florida. Was Ramel Keaton. And it's a guy that, you know, you, you just forget about. Yeah. And you count out. And he came in and, like, you know, when Tillman went down with the injury and, you know, Ramel Keaton rolled in, I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll finish out this Akron game, but, you know, what, what's the plan for next week? Yeah. And there was 80 again. There was 80 again. He's making catch, catch, big catch after. You know, even in that Alabama game, um, right before the kick, you know, Brew McCoy had the had the mm -hmm. second big catch, but Ramel Keaton went up, caught a first down catch, got pelted, held on the football. Um, Those big boy catches. Um, yeah, I think he's arguably the most underrated player on the team, uh, one of the most underrated receivers in, in the SEC, a guy that, again, I thought was going to leave a couple times and just stayed with it. So yeah. it's a great story. Uh, again, he's a name I don't even bring up in this conversation, but he's going to be – he's earned the right. He's going to be a starting wide receiver in this offense. And so uh, excited to see him go to work. Happy for him too as well. I mean, you're talking about a guy who opted out in 2020, but, again, came back, stayed the course, and look at him now. You know, I think one of the biggest question marks we have is that offensive line. Yeah. Uh, a lot of new faces coming in. How? I mean, you're you're in there. You're seeing it. What? How's this? How's that front five shaping up right now? It's arguably one of the biggest questions. I mean, Joe Milton's a huge question, of course. The secondary and then offensive line. You bring back a couple guys who've got tons of playing experience: Javante Spragans, Cooper Mays, uh, Tennessee's left tackles last year. I say tackles because two guys split that position almost even split in terms of snaps and Gerald Mincy and J.J. Crawford but you bring in John Campbell who's uh, you know started 11 games at left tackle uh, for Miami last year he's going to play on the left side you're going to take those two I just mentioned they're going to go to the right side one of those guys probably Gerald Mincy will win that job um, you got to find a left guard and that's a huge question mark right now you've got a, a reserve in Ollie Lane who's played a lot for Tennessee but has never been a starter he's probably the front runner to win that job right now. You have a rising sophomore in Addison Nichols, a highly rated four-star prospect last cycle. Um, he's going to compete with him. You have Andre Kirik, transfer from Texas, coming over as well. So a big question at left guard, got to find a right tackle. Um, but I think in this offense that uh, you don't need uh, you know, road graders, essentially. Yeah. you can, And I don't mean you can get by with weak offensive linemen, but you can mask a lot of this play because of the tempo and because even in the run game you're so spread out you open up a lot of vertical run lanes there. And so yeah. uh, it's a question, but I I'm going to have faith in Heupel's offense that it's going to be where it needs to be. <laughs> How big of a step do you think the defense takes? Because everyone we talk to here about Tennessee, they you know they laud Heupel and everyone knows Joe Milton. You know we'll, we'll see what we get out of him, but – a lot of people look at him as how high he plays, as how high Tennessee will go. But they yeah. all, all of them, Shane, they say, well, t the defense is awful or it sucks and it's going to hold them back. And I don't think that's the case. I think they got emerging talent at pass rusher. 
They're stout against the run. And yes, I mean, everybody thinks of South Carolina, but they have talent in the backfield. They just added a trio of elite corners. Mm -hmm. what do you, what's your expectations for the defense this year? I have been beating this <laughs> drum all offseason. Again, my listeners of Locked On Balls are tired of hearing it because I say it all the time. The South Carolina game happened. You can't erase it. It was, it was awful. Yeah. But Tennessee's defense took so many steps in the right direction last year. Uh, you mentioned great against the run, second in the SEC. Granted, the pass defense is horrible, so it kind of goes hand-in-hand. Hand. Mm -hmm. uh, much better on third downs. Much better in red zone opportunities. Forcing field goals instead of, instead of points. Uh, increases takeaway totals. Um, was on par with the TFL and sack numbers from the year before, which is one of the best in, in program history in year one for Josh Heupel. So it took steps in the right direction. Yeah. Where it's got to continue to take steps is, I mean, you've got, you got to get better in the secondary. No offense, buts about it. And what will help with that is a consistent pass rush, you know, rushing with four, not having to blitz a linebacker or blitz somebody from the secondary. Um, you know, that's a big question for Tennessee. But you bring back virtually everybody except Trayvon Flowers. You add Gabe Judy Lolly from BYU, who was at Vanderbilt. You add, you know, Ricky Gibson at cornerback, Jordan Matthews, Christian Conyers. So there's a whole lot of guys there. I think the biggest difference in the secondary this year is you're going to see, um, you know, for Tennessee's perspective, those same secondary guys might be out there starting game one, but – the second one of them gets beat, send in somebody else. Because you have faith that you you have a bench, whereas the first two years you didn't. So um, that's what I'm looking for. You know, linebacker, they're going to be super deep. I think up front they're super deep. So I think Tennessee's defense is going to take a step in the right direction. I do. And pick up where they were last year where they took a step in the right direction. It was not nearly as bad as what everybody yeah. wants to make it out to be. Everybody just remembers South Carolina and, you know, deservingly so. That was, that was pretty bad. Well, I, I, I want to talk schedule here. I mean, uh, we got a very confident Joe Milton coming out here. Say he's never <laughs> lost in, in Florida, you yeah. know. So, uh, going to that Gator game, that's one that's just, as a Vol fan, has scarred us for many, many years. Oh, yeah. and, and everybody's out here shitting on the Florida Gators. <laughs> they, they're no good. They ain't got to worry about them. But us, our diehard Vol fans, have still got better that watch little, out. Yeah, better <laughs> watch out. What, 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 are, what are you expecting in that game? Because uh, again, it was a very physical game last year. It was, but it, yeah. was, it was a, it was a Hooker Richardson matchup. The biggest difference yeah. is you don't have number four overall pick that, you know, that showed why he was the number four overall yeah. pick against Tennessee's yeah. defense. Um, yeah, Florida's down this year. I, I think if you're going to judge Billy Napier this year, it better not be on wins, in yeah. my opinion, because he's recruiting well. I think he's a good coach, but it's going to be tough this year, especially with you know starting at Utah and, uh, of course, some other games on that schedule. But to your point, yeah, I mean, Tennessee hadn't won since 03 in the yeah. Swamp. Um, two wins since 04. It, and there's been a lot of teams that Tennessee was better yeah. than Florida, but Florida always finds a way to win. So, again, that's the tone setter, in my opinion, yeah. for this team. I mean, it's week three. Um, you know, Virginia's not that good, and I don't think Tennessee will be very good week one. I think Tennessee needs to be better in week two and then – Obviously, setting up for week three here with uh, with Florida. So, what an environment uh, early in the season. I, I, I think that that game is really going to set the tone for the season. But, um, I mean, I'm going to pick Tennessee to win. There's There should be no reason Tennessee shouldn't win that game. Right. But you better, if you're a Tennessee fan. Not how many touchdowns, though? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think it'll be close for sure because those games always are. And about Joe Milton, like, he's from Orlando. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he's uh, – I think he won a state championship. Of course, he won the, the Orange Bowl last year. I think that's kind of where he was saying with that. But, of course, it was some gray bolts and more material. So, we'll see. But that Florida game is going to be huge. Which game do you think is most likely to be a win this season at Alabama? or Georgia at home 
And before you even answer that, I mean, how wild that you're not sitting there cracking up. Because if I, I asked you that a year ago, two years ago, I, I mean, it's like, get the hell out of here. What are you smoking? But, I mean, that, that's a legitimate question after yeah. winning 11 games, Orange Bowl. I realize those are formidable games, but you got to have confidence that Tennessee can bare minimum compete with those teams. It's tough because so much of um, this answer is going to dictate on quarterback play, really for all three teams when you think about yeah. it. Um, I think Alabama is going to revert back to having a game manager to where they're going to play elite defense, run the football well, still win a whole lot of games. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you don't have a Tua Tungo Lowe. You don't have a Mac Jones, a, a Bryce Young, right? Um, can Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner, I don't think it's going to be Jalen Milrow, can they be good enough to win you the big games? You know, we'll find out. Uh, Carson Beck, who I believe is going to win the job, I think from a talent perspective, man, he's he's pretty yeah. solid, right? And, of course, there's still a whole lot of toys there to play with at Georgia. Man, I can't believe I'm saying this. I will probably, with respect, because, again, I'm not saying Alabama sucks now. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. saying it. He's oh, saying yeah. it. I'll say go on the road. We're yeah. definitely Alabama. high-fiving after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say going on the road beating Alabama. Um, doesn't mean Tennessee can't beat Georgia at home, but uh, Georgia's a solid top to bottom. Um, you know, that defense is going to be good again. It's got one of the best running games in all the SEC. they got a lot of toys in the receiver room. Um, and I think, again, from a talent perspective, I think, you know, Beck's pretty pretty solid. So yeah. I'll say on the road in Tuscaloosa, and, again, that's just crazy to even say right now. I, I got one. Uh, you know, South Carolina clearly was a landmine for uh-huh. us last year. Is there, other than Florida, Alabama, Real quick, Georgia. though, answer. Sorry, yeah, I didn't no, no. to cut you off. Hey, you answered that question. What would you say, on the road at Alabama or at home against Georgia? Alabama. Okay. Alabama, yeah. We've done it. I, I think that helps with a lot of people that's on there. Uh, Georgia mm-hmm. is kind of – we kind of getting that that you know. Remember growing up, it's like that Alabama. Remember we uh, Butch Jones said it's the red team or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to get that logo out. I, I think <laughs> that's flip flop now. I think Georgia is that is that logo that, yeah. that that's in their heads a little bit because they went down there and say what you want. It was a close game score wise, but it wasn't a close game. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, a lot of people are back on that roster this year thinking about it. So no, yeah. I'm going to Alabama. But I just want to ask you, Landmine, is there a game out there that people aren't talking about on this schedule, like a South Carolina last year, that if Tennessee doesn't come to play, they they may lose? Yeah, sorry to cut you off no, completely no. there. <laughs> um, man, there's a couple. Like, no, we can literally talk about beating Bama <laughs> all day long. <laughs> you know, there's a couple. Um, you know, that South Carolina game at Neyland Stadium is going to be big this year. Yeah. Um, you, had the, you had the off week and then uh, A&M, you know, coming to Neyland Stadium mm-hmm. right there in week five or six. Again, A&M could be world beaters yeah. at that point, or they could be just a complete disaster. Uh, is is Jimbo Fisher allowing Bobby Petrino to call plays, and is he admitting it to the uh, to the media? I, I don't know. He didn't do that the other day, uh, but I think those are two potentially. I mean, that Kentucky game is going to be solid. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, upgraded tremendously at quarterback. They've got some great receivers. If they can figure out the offensive line where they lost a lot, um, you know, I think they could be pretty dangerous. And of course, that game's at home, so. I would probably say – I'll say Kentucky, um, but I think South Carolina at home is going to be big, and, of course, A&M as well. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm so disappointed you said Kentucky because I was going to I was gonna go there and, and try to catch you on one because I think they're going to be pretty yeah. good too, and that that's their Super Bowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but it was funny. We had some Kentucky guys just a moment ago. I said, how big is that Florida game? And they said, well, what about that Vanderbilt game? And I was like, yeah, yeah. they're still Kentucky <laughs> guys at heart. You know what? <laughs> I got I got one last one. For yeah, you. Uh, the Missouri game last year. Okay, that one felt a little personal. 
for Hypel. I don't know if it was, you know, and I'm not saying he ran up the score or anything like that. Hypel running up the score? No. Yeah. <laughs> Could you see something similar? You mentioned that South Carolina game. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I think this one is going to be teed up very nicely. I've been on record thinking that Tennessee's going to win, clearly. But yeah. will he stop? Or will he keep going? I don't know how much of your audience is South Carolina fans, but I'm going to get roasted for this. Um, first of all, I'll say I think Shane Beamer's doing a hell of a job right now. He really is. But, boy, we've seen this before, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> when it ends, because all marriages end at some point, not everybody's Nick Saban. I mean, look at Pat Fitzgerald. He was there for 20-plus years, and it just ended. Yep. When it ends, it's going to be bad because of his antics. Um, but I think he's a good coach. He's recruiting really, really well, but – the antics that he displayed on that sideline last year yeah. in the game against Tennessee, boy, yes. Josh Heupel will beat him by 100 <laughs> if he can. By 100. Oh, my goodness. I mean, look what he did um, against UT Martin last year. Yeah. That was something just so minor. I mean, yes, if given the chance, Joe Milton will play the entire game. And even if it's not Joe Milton, if it's Nico or Gasson Moore, he'll be throwing 50-yard bombs <laughs> at the end zone at the end of the game for sure. So we'll see if Tennessee can be in that position. All right, we really appreciate you, Eric. Before yeah. you go, tell the audience, where can they find you? Yeah, add underscore Kaner on Twitter. It's where I post all my work. If there's any Tennessee fans out there that uh, want to subscribe and, and check us out over at VolQuest.com, tons and tons of coverage over there as well. All right, Eric, I appreciate you joining the show. I know I'll be back on their show soon, and I'm sure we're going to have Eric on the show as uh, you know the season gets here. But we got to move it on to South Carolina Fun little story here. We got Spencer Rattler exclusive one-on-one. And, yes, I asked him about the quarterback rankings. I got him ninth in the rankings. But a little behind the scenes, I wish Cousin Shane was here to share the story. But at Media Days, a lot of people treat it like it's a little bit of a party and they, they have a good time, which more power to them. But we are nonstop work there. Well, almost nonstop because there was one night – we got hooked up, free drinks at a place, and uh, Cousin Shane had a few too many. He did not make his way down to media days on time. Missed most of this interview. I was kind of hoping that he would bring up the quarterback rankings. We have a little, that was the game plan anyway, if we got Spencer Rattler, but Shane missed it. He does come in for the final question. So here's our exclusive one-on-one with South Carolina's QB1, Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler, South Carolina starting quarterback. And I don't know if you have any idea who I am, but I'm the guy. You have to have seen it. I put up my SEC quarterback rankings. I got you ninth. So Ninth. I may be your biggest I, – I don't want to say call haters because I don't hate anybody, yeah. right? But I got to put stuff out there, get some buzz. Yeah. So people like me that are downgrading you, mm-hmm. here's your opportunity. You, you can say whatever you want. I, I will not take offense to anything you have to say about me. Hey, man, I respect your opinion. Um, obviously, you know, we're working hard this offseason. It's not yeah. just about me, about our group. Um, if we all play well, everybody will have individual success. Um, obviously, want to come out, have a great year. Um, not prove everybody wrong, but prove ourselves right. And uh, I think we're in the right direction right now. Yeah, and I'm a Tennessee guy, so everybody's already said, oh, well, that's why he did it. <laughs> and maybe that is part of it. I mean, you had the game of your life against Tennessee. Have you ever been in the zone quite like you were uh, against the Vols last year? Uh, yeah, before earlier in my career, you know, at Oklahoma, we've we've had a few games definitely like that. Um, I don't think I've ever thrown six touchdowns, but I've had five before, once or twice. But, you know, definitely uh, everybody was in the zone, that Tennessee game, and what a great environment, what a great night at Willie B. Yeah, have you heard the joke yet? Uh, I know you guys brought uh, your punter down here, great punter. 
by Tennessee fans that got on Shane Beamer. Well, of course, the Gamecocks, they don't have enough good players. they got to bring a punter. And all the Gamecocks have said, well, hell, Tennessee fans don't know South Carolina's got a punter. So you guys had to let him know you guys got a punter, and he's a hell of a punter too. Hell of a punter. I mean, Kai Kai Kroger, legit punter, obviously threw a few touchdowns this year. You yeah. know, perfect completion percentage. So, I mean, he's always, you know, backup quarterback option. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, man, great punter. Does a, lot, does a lot of great things for our team and, you know, helped us out a lot, specifically in that Clemson game, you know, later in the game. Yeah, I'm glad you went there because I was going to ask you, we've been asking a lot of people what the Clemson game, the Tennessee game, which one meant more to you? Um, I would say, you know, obviously the Clemson game, yeah. just because it's such a big rivalry. Uh, I didn't realize how big of a rivalry, rivalry it was until I got here. And, uh, I mean, there's people that still come up to us, you know, to this day saying, man, you made my year so great beating Clemson. So, you know, obviously that's a great feeling. Yeah. What's it like playing for Shane Beamer? He seems, he seems like a cool guy. Amazing coach, great person, you know, great father, great leader, everything. Um, you know, I've known Coach Beamer for, for some years now. Obviously, he was at Oklahoma with me for a year or two. And, um, you know, when, when the portal hit, um, I knew South Carolina was a good option because of him. And, uh, you know, credit to him. He's a great coach and he's got our team in the right direction. What do you think uh, so far of working with uh, Coach Dow Loggins and his offensive system? I would imagine, you know, there's not going to be many better that are going to be able to prepare you for the NFL given his, all his experience at that level. Yes, no, Dow's a great coach, a uh, great person. Um, you know, me and him have a great partnership, and uh, he loves input from me and other quarterbacks and our, and our group as a whole offensively. And, you know, he's, he's got us doing everything correct, really putting this offense down to the T, and we're going to perfect it here in camp. But, yeah, he's coached quarterbacks for several years in the NFL and uh, definitely knows about the position and, and what it takes. How much uh, does having Juice Wells make your life a little bit easier on Saturday? Juice is a great player, great yeah. competitor. Um, not just him, though. We got Xavier Leggett. Um, he's going to be a breakout player this year. Amarian Brown, you know, our tight ends, Trey Nixon, Josh Simon. Uh, so many weapons on the field. Nick Harbour, new freshman that just came yep. in. A lot of weapons. Is there anyone quite as uh, physically gifted as, as Nicholas Harbour? He is pretty gifted. <laughs> I would say, you know, height and speed-wise, you can't, you can't get much better than that. But, you know, guys like Xavier Leggett is very gifted as well. He's about 225, 230, running 4'4", jumping 40. I mean, we got a lot of dogs. Yeah. Who, know, who's going to be a breakout uh, offensive player for the Gamecocks this fall? Hmm, that's a great question. I, I I don't think I could pick one. You know, it would be wrong of me to pick one. I, we got a handful of guys that can that can be breakout players, to be honest. Yeah. How much are you looking forward to uh, the opener in North Carolina? People always make it quarterback versus quarterback. I, you don't, you're not on, on the field at the same time as him. But a lot of eyes are going to be on that, and whoever wins that game, automatically they're going to be talking better draft prospect, better Heisman candidate. How much are, personally are you looking forward to that opener? Yeah, man, I'm, it's going to be a great great competition, great battle. I'm looking forward to that game. Obviously never played them before. Um, knowing it's South Carolina versus North Carolina, so obviously a big rivalry. And we're, we're going to prepare like it's we, – we, we, we have a saying, nameless and faceless opponents. So no matter who that name is on the schedule, we're going to prepare the same. Yeah. Well, here's my Nicholas Harper. This is my co-host right here. <laughs> <laughs> I figured since he crushed my college football playoff dreams, they can make a win a second. <laughs> I already asked him about the quarterback rankings, whooping Tennessee, whooping Clemson. You got a question real quick for Spencer before he's got to take off? Yeah. Um, one, one question. Because – the way you ended the season last year, obviously it broke my heart. Uh, but with the game, I guess do you keep reliving in your mind? Was it the Tennessee one or was it that Clemson? 
Um, both games were great games. I'd say from November on, uh, we had a great, great end to the season. That's when we really started clicking. I really don't relive it too much in my mind, try to focus on the present. Um, but, yeah, both, both games, how we ended the season was, was great. We live it every day, Spencer. So thank you very <laughs> much, man. Yep. I appreciate your time, bro. Yep, appreciate we don't you. call them dreams. We call them not. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you uh, for that. Well, I mean, Spencer handed his, him, himself like a true professional there. And I think, uh, you know, South Carolina fans are mad I even asked that question, but I feel like I kind of had to bring it up when I got the guy face-to-face like that. You got to bring up – because, hell, they were – I don't know if anybody's seen it, but they've been plastering that all over Columbia, the rankings and whatnot. So I felt like I had to ask him, get his reaction from that. But moving on to Shane Beamer, good stuff here from the Gamecock leader. And one of the things – talked about this a lot but I think it's paramount for South Carolina as they turn that program around climb the SEC ladder they were voted third in the east remember so that's incredible expectations that puts you as a top 20 program in the country we'll see if South Carolina can get there but the key I think for Beamer and company the thing that has impressed me the most only two years there He's flipped games like Texas A&M. That was a terrible streak. They never beaten the Aggies. Kentucky. Kentucky had owned South Carolina. I realize Will Levis is out. Calm down, Wildcats. I'm getting to the point here. They snapped the Tennessee streak in historic fashion. Beat the hell. I think that was the worst loss Josh Heupel ever had as a head coach, I believe. And then beat Clemson. Beat that ass in Death Valley. So they'll get Clemson at home this year. But I think it's paramount. You don't got to win all these games again because A&M's on the road. Tennessee's on the road. It's going to be difficult. But if you can win half of these games, if you can win three of them, and I'm specifically talking A&M, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Clemson, you almost have to to keep some of the momentum. You can't, once you beat all these teams, then turn around and lose to them all and have all this momentum. So I think these are critical games for South Carolina this fall to keep that momentum. Again, they don't have to win them all because Neyland Stadium is going to be geared up for them. Clemson is going to be geared up for them. At A&M, that's one of the toughest places in the country to play. We'll see how improved Texas A&M is, if at all. I think they will be, but we'll see. Kentucky, again, I I said, uh, what was it, yesterday's show, I think they could be the most improved offense in the, in the country. These are not going to be easy games, but uh, you have to – Keep momentum on your side in some of these games. Uh, here's Shane Beamer on A&M and Kentucky and, and what those win, wins meant for his program. Tyler Shaw with KBTX and College Station. Yeah. Uh, what did it mean, I mean last year for the program to beat Texas A&M for you know, the first time ever and how much are you looking forward to that game again? Yeah, it meant a lot. Um, obviously, it had never happened at South Carolina. And... Um, um, you hear different, you know, horror stories about some of the games over the years. I was a part of one in 2021 when we came out to College Station. So it was huge, huge because of the respect that we have for Coach Fisher and that entire program. And um, that's a just a, one of the great programs in all the college football, great tradition. So for us to, you know, finally get that done, uh, that was an electric night in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. I was in Houston, Texas, speaking on Sunday to the Texas high school coaches and got asked that question by a lot of the people there in Texas about the atmosphere in Columbia that night, and it was elite. 
uh, without a doubt. Um, and the other thing I'm proud of, that was, a, that was a game we had beaten Kentucky the game before up in Lexington where they were nationally ranked. We had a week off. So it was two weeks of everybody patting our players on the back, telling them how great they are. But then to follow that up with a huge win over a great program in Texas A&M was really, really good for us. And you just knew Shane Beamer, he's not going to not get asked about Beamer ball here. From our guy Mike Yuva down there, uh, we'll get to that interview in just a second. But wanted to ask about special teams, and I thought there was some interesting comments here from Shane Beamer, who – you know, some people think it's gimmicky and all that, but I think he hits the nail on the head here. Uh, Shane, before I ask you a special teams question, since we're in Nashville, I don't know if you're aware that you were part of the first Music City Bowl game and you won that game in 98. Your dad was obviously the coach, and, of course, you guys had a block kick. I think it was Corey Moore. Yep, 38, um, to, 38 to 7 over the Crimson Tide. That yep. Night. Yep. One of the coldest games I've ever been a part of. <laughs> so staying with special teams, you guys, and obviously, you know, the Beamer Ball brand, we've talked about it multiple times, but... To finish number one in efficiency last year from a special team standpoint, yep. the contract extension or the boost with Pete Lumbo, now that that target is on your back and it's even bigger now, how do you guys continue to have that success, number one? But number two, how do you emphasize that to the players? Because obviously more guys want to be on special teams now. Yeah, going back, also played at Vanderbilt uh, Stadium because uh, the Titan Stadium hadn't been built yet. So also a little known fact about that 98 Mu- Music City Bowl as well. Um, Unbelievable year on special teams, and to me, Mike, it's kind of what we've talked about with every other area of our program, like how can we be better? We won games on special teams last season. The way that we controlled field position in the Clemson game, returning a kickoff against Texas A&M, some of the fake punts, fake field goals that we ran. So let's continue to be great, but how can we be even better? And we have, uh, and not, not just special teams. I mean, I've challenged everybody, myself, uh, nutrition, weight room, training room, you name it. Like, let's, how are we going to be better this year? And uh, Pete, he's already come to me with, like, his new ideas for fake punts and fake field goals and things like that. He's been like a mad scientist. And, and you realize that you do have somewhat of a target on your back now. So as a competitor, you love that. We've got to continue to be better and confident that we will be because we bring the core of our special teams units back snapper punter kicker kickoff returner so that's a great benefit uh without a doubt also and then certainly when you have success on special teams it creates momentum where other guys want to be a part of it and we got guys on our team that come and want to be on special teams you know and uh um certainly Guys know that's the quickest way to get on the field. We're only allowed to travel, I guess, 70 guys to away games. Well, we got 120 guys on our team, so the guys that we take to games are going to be ones that help us on offense, defense, and special teams as well. So it's a great motivating factor. But, you know, nobody comes – I get it. Nobody comes to South Carolina because they want to be the starting gunner on the punt team or the left tackle on the field goal team. But when you have success like we had, it makes guys want to get out there and be a part of that. So he's teasing new special teams plays, trick plays, and all that. Pete Limbo, best, arguably the best overall coordinator in the country, but certainly the best special teams coordinator in the country. But uh, you know, I, you kind of don't think about it sometimes. But those are momentum plays, like he said. They're almost like turnovers, to where you're not necessarily expecting anything. Could be a touchback, or you know, just a punt, changing hands, but not at South Carolina. They're there's fakes all the time. There's touchdowns on kickoff, touchdowns on punt team. Those are like 
turnovers for the momentum they cause in a football game. So it's kind of cool to hear Shane Beamer talk about that. But it's also cool to talk to our buddy Ben Portnoy from the state. He's been on the show a number of times. Let's go on a deep dive here on South Carolina with Ben. Right, ben Portnoy from the state back in action at SEC Media Days. How you been, brother? I'm good. I'm good. Getting my feet under me here. It's Monday, right? It's, it's a long <laughs> week, so I've got to pace yourself a little bit. But uh, it's good. It's good. Good to be back and good yeah. to see people. So let me ask you this. this. is something I've kind of been asking a lot of people for their the teams they cover specifically. What's something you want to learn about South Carolina from this event? You know, I think something that I'm really interested to watch, and it's maybe a, not even necessarily about South Carolina, but more like third-party viewing, is I'm curious to see the reception that Spencer Rattler gets, frankly. I think that, you know, he's a guy that gets talked about so much in the con- in sort of the construct of college football and, and maybe took a step back from that being at South Carolina last year versus, versus sort of the spotlight and sort of the scrutiny that he got at Oklahoma a year ago. Excuse me, what now, two years ago now. Um, him being in the spotlight, him being at SEC Media Days, I kind of think that there's going to be a little bit of a circus around it yeah. uh, when he does get here, and I think that that's going to be – it's just going to be interesting to see sort of the reception, sort of what sort of the questions that he gets asked, how he handles it. But, um, you know, obviously we as, as local reporters have, have dealt with Spencer a lot in the last year, and he's been really great. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see him sort of back in the, the center of college football again a little bit yeah. uh, when he gets here on Thursday. Were you kind of surprised that he decided to come back? Definitely. I think it was definitely a real decision. I think that, you know, to me and sort of the perception had always been that it was going to be a one-year experiment and it was either going to work or it wasn't and everyone was going to kind of go their opposite ways at the end because that's generally how those things go, especially with a grad transfer or, excuse me, a transfer in that sort of setting. Um, But, you know, I think that when you looked at it, like Spencer's a guy that he's going to get drafted on his arm talent alone, whether he plays well or not. I, I mean, that's just the kind of arm talent that he has, but those last two games made you think, okay, excuse me, the last two games of the regular season, I should say, made you think, okay, if he puts this together for a full season, what does that look like? What's he capable yeah. of down the stretch? All that, those things. And now, I don't think anyone here is necessarily saying that Spencer's going to be, you know, what he was against Tennessee or what he was against Clemson every single game next year. But I think the thought is that, okay, if he can go piece that together more consistently or be a yeah. little bit more prolific, be a little more comfortable more of the year than not, I, I think that makes a big difference. You know, you're talking about a, a guy who's a, you know, second-round pick maybe or a first-round pick who plays really, really well versus a, you know, fourth, fifth, mid-round guy. Right. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that stood out to me, at least in terms of why he would want to come back. Now, that said, again, I think I was still a little surprised that he came back, but uh, it makes for, <laughs> makes for some interesting talking points this time of year, that's for sure. You know the old adage, quarterbacks get uh, too much blame and too much credit. But this year, I feel like I think it's kind of fair given that, you know, lack of depth at running back, questions on the O-line. They do like Juice Wells, who may be the best receiver in the entire SEC, Trey Knox. But it's it feels, and this is so simplistic, but it feels like South Carolina is going to go as far as Spencer can take them. Yeah, I think so because I think that, you know, I think we even talked about this at Media Days last year. Is like – at some point, Spencer's just going to go win you a football game. And last year, it happened to be the Tennessee game. And, and you could argue even the Clemson game a little bit, too. And that may happen again this year. But the way that this team is structured as is, I think they've got talent at the skill positions, especially at wide receiver and tight end. But the running back situation is a little bit questionable. Like, you're at the point where it's you're either going to see it or you're not with Spencer. And that's not yeah. necessarily a knock. It's just a matter of that's kind of where we're at in his career and his progression, right? Like, it's either going to work for most of the season or it's not. And I think that that was the thing that was, you know, kind of frustrating for a lot of people, I think, to watch last year was that you saw it in spurts. And, you know, even the games where he wasn't playing well, you saw it in moments. You saw it in in a half or a quarter. I mean, the Kentucky game, he was kind of all over the place in the first half. And 
it wasn't necessarily a thought of, okay, are you going to make a change at quarterback? But it was kind of just like, okay, what are we watching here kind of thing? Yeah. And then turns around and goes 8 of 12 for 135 yards and two or three touchdowns in the second half. And South Carolina goes and beats Kentucky at Kentucky for the first time in almost a decade. And, like, so you saw it in spurts. And then, obviously, you saw it over the course of a full game against Tennessee, against Clemson. And, frankly, even against Notre Dame in the bowl game for most of it. Um but I think that if you look at South Carolina as they're constructed, like, this is Spencer Rattler's team. Like, if this team is going to go jump up to whatever, let's say it's eight, nine wins, whatever that, you know, sort of high-end mark is, it's going to be because of what Spencer does. It's because he goes and wins you maybe two games instead of one like he did last year. Yeah. Um, and I th- so I think, you know, it's, it's fair to say that, you know, what this team can be, at least on its highest end, I think falls on Spencer. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you real quick because I've, I've always been a Marshawn Lloyd fan. And the fact that he left, I think that was the biggest surprise for me. Um, is, is Can you take us a little behind the locker room there, what was potentially going on in his mind and why he had to leave that campus? Yeah, I, I think for Marshawn it was a question of, I think that if you ask Shane Beamer, if you ask people in the program, they'll tell you, you know, they felt good about Marshawn coming back and, you know, went home and talked through some things with his family and decided that he just needed a fresh start and, and – Sometimes a kid needs that, you know, after however many years and, and you know, an injury, a pretty serious injury. Yeah. Um, his first year here at South Carolina, uh, you know, had dealt with some injury stuff down the stretch in, in the last season as well. So I think there's something to be said about playing and just getting a fresh start, and, and that happens. And, you yeah. know, whether that's the case always, you know, <laughs> certainly there's other things going on in college football that, that can be uh, – be uh, reasons for guys to leave, but uh, I'll leave it there. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'll try not to try. I'll try a little lightly. But uh, well, but uh, sticking on that theme, the portal helped South Carolina immensely last season. Mm-hmm. This season, do you think? I mean, they they still added guys. It's not like they didn't add anybody. But do you think it'll be a pl- uh, overall plus or overall minus the portal? That's the thing is, like, I think the last two years, South Carolina has definitely been a portal winner. Like, I think it's been pretty easy to say they've won in the portal. And, you know, Shane Beamer's first year, it was kind of maybe a few more lower key guys as far as star power. But they got guys that really filled roles and really were really, really played well. Carlin Splatel is a guy they got from a Division II school and ended up being a starting nickel for most of the year. And is now still, you know, bouncing around the NFL a little bit. So guys like that. Year two, you get Spencer Rattler, you get Austin Stogner from Oklahoma, a couple other guys. Like that, that was a high level like talent. This group, I think, is going to be some of that. Like Trey Knox is a guy that I think can, you know, if you look up at the end of the year and Trey Knox is your second team All SEC tight end, I, I can buy into that. What you do have though this year is the first time that you've had some guys leave that were really big pieces. I think you know Jordan Birch is a guy that left. Yeah. Uh, 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 we just mentioned it. Marshawn Lloyd's a guy yeah. that left. Uh, Jaheim Bell left. Uh, uh, you know, Gilbert Edmond, your other starting defensive end, left. So. You know, some of those guys, maybe it's a matter of getting a fresh start, and that's fine, and, and coaches are maybe ready for, you know, it's it's an amicable thing. It's just like, hey, I've been here for three years. I'm ready for something different. That's right. fine. Like, that happens, and I think that sometimes we lose that <laughs> in the grand scheme of the transfer portal. Look, are there guys leaving just because they can leave? Yeah, sure, that exists. But I, I think you're losing a lot of – this was the first year where you felt like they lost some guys that were maybe difference makers. Now, they've done well in the portal. They, they've developed guys. I think – You've seen South Carolina, this coaching staff has done a pretty good job of maximizing talent for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, so we'll see. I, I think they're kind of at a net zero. I don't want to say it's a loss because I think <laughs> I do think there's some guys they brought in that are going to be really good pieces. I mean, I mentioned Trey Knox. Nick Gargiulo, who they brought in on the offensive line from Yale, I think is a guy that I've circled that I think may surprise some people and maybe a really important piece on the line this year. Um, 
Mario Anderson at running back from Newberry is from right up the road as a D2 transfer, but you know he was a finalist for the Harlan Hill Trophy last year. The you know the the Division II Heisman uh, for lack of, for to, to characterize it, I guess. Um, so at running back, so maybe he ends up seeing a lot of time and ends up being a really big piece. But so you know you lost some high end guys, and I think they're probably lean more toward a loser than a winner yeah. at right now, just because of sort of. You don't necessarily have the sexy names at the top of it that you brought in, but I do think there's some guys that are going to fill out some big roles and, and be productive. I think, it, but I think it's definitely it's a little bit of a different spot than they were in maybe a year ago or two yeah. years ago for sure. Are we gonna Are we gonna get some sort of hype reel before <laughs> Beamer shows up? I, you know, I keep thinking about that. I'm like, man, you know, the last two years, two years ago, it was going and, and recreating the Spurrier with the, yeah. the at the what was it Taco Bell, I guess, or Arby's, whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> Their it, marketing team's great. I mean, they're yeah, fantastic. I, you know, I, I don't know what they've got cooked up, but I, I've stopped trying to predict it because, yeah. I, you know, I've tried and I can't <laughs> I can't get out ahead of that one. I'm just sort of like. I think my favorite one's the speed limit one. You know, when speed limit one's good. Hey, that, as, as an office fan, I was super in on that. That was that was that was impressive. Uh, I think underrated the one the the the, fre- the full house intro video. Yeah, yeah, that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit because it was in like a dead period. But I, I was in on that one. That I thought that was a good one. Too. So yeah. they've uh, they've done some good stuff. <laughs> Pressure is probably not the right word because when we hear pressure, you think job security and things like that. But how important is that Clemson game for Beamer to, you know, everyone's on board with Shane Beamer right now. But it all you lose to Clemson, again, they're not going to be calling for his job, but they're going to be, I think those fans are going to be pissed. It's funny because, like, it's, I mean, as you guys know as well as anyone, right, like college football is a what have you done for me lately thing. Right. Like, listen, Dan Mullen went and won the SEC <laughs> East and then was fired, like, what two years late less than two years later i mean oh, that's yeah. that's just the reality of college football and it's crazy and that's a whole other discussion we could talk about for <laughs> like six hours but I, I think that when you look at that clemson game and what it means to people in the state it's obviously the game that everyone circles and there's definitely sort of the feeling of you know you could go one and 11 but make sure you beat clemson and yeah and and you know certainly south carolina fans more more than that and clemson fans want more than that obviously but i do think that it's 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 definitely a turning point i think that last year was a big moment like that it's not nothing that that was the first time in seven years that South Carolina's beaten Clemson. And I think it's the first time that – I think – I'm curious what Clemson becomes, right? You bring in Garrett Riley. You've got a quarterback back that you feel really good about. You're going to have some skill position players. But, like, I think Dabo's in a really strange place of – they're not not recruiting. I mean, they're recruiting really well right now. But I think that it's definitely a – there's an opening there. And South yeah. Carolina really opened that door with that win last year in Death Valley. And especially coming off the Tennessee win, like, the way that that finishes out a season, like – that's a big deal, and I think that if you're South Carolina, if you're Shane Beamer, if you go in and beat Clemson two years in a row, that becomes a real conversation, yeah. right? It's not a one-off, okay, South Carolina got us this year, whatever. Like, that becomes a real conversation of, okay, I mean, are these teams on equal playing field? And is that a product of South Carolina ascending? Is it a product of Clemson taking a step back? Tough to say, right? But I do think that that becomes a real conversation, and I think that it – you know, certainly it, it doesn't uh, doesn't hurt job security in this business to uh, beat your rival every year. Well, the old the old stereotype, real quick, of a coach that bail that refuses to adapt. I think old Dabo nil yeah. transfer portal. Uh-huh. So I I think he's losing his grip. Well, I just I, I like the momentum too. The the way in, even though the bowl game didn't go as expected or as we want, we can still pinpoint why it didn't go. Yeah. Um, I, I just think the way they closed with Tennessee with Clemson. How important does this North Carolina game be 
you know, with all this momentum behind you and, and, and you could come away with egg on face, you know, so. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, South Carolina's schedule is nuts. And, I mean, if you guys look at it, like, their first five weeks are you've got UNC, you've got at Georgia, you're at Tennessee, yeah. you're home against a Mississippi State team that I think I'm, I'm probably higher on Mississippi State than most people. But, like, I, if you tell me that Mississippi State wins eight or nine games this year, I'm buying it. Like, I think they're going to be pretty good. I don't think people realize that. Um, That's and a touchy subject, apparently, <laughs> Mississippi State. Yeah. Let me tell you, after two years in Starkville, I'm, I'm plenty familiar. But um, I, I do think that, like, the first – Four games of that schedule. Four, you know, there's a world where South Carolina starts the season one and four, and things soften up on the back end. And, and if you get, but like that North Carolina game, that Mississippi State game. I mean, I'd argue even the Tennessee game. Like if South Carolina gets through that first five game stretch at two and three or three and two, they should feel really good right. about where they're at. And I think that that's you know, South Carolina fi- fans will tell you, or Shane Beamer will tell you, hey, we want to win all five games. And okay, great, that's yeah. fine. But the reality is, they're probably not going to go beat Georgia and Athens. Sorry, it's just not yeah. going to happen. And you're probably going to lose one of those games against Mississippi State, Tennessee, or, or North Carolina. And you know, like you mentioned, North Carolina being the first game of the season. Weird things happen in first games of the season. If you told me that game ends up like 54-52, I kind of buy it. I mean, you know, Spencer Rattler's probably going to throw the ball 67 times or something. Drake May probably is going to do the same thing. So it's going to be a fun game. Like That game's got really sort of like weird, sicko college football uh, vibe to it. Um, So I think it's going to be crazy. But I think, you know, if South Carolina goes and wins that game, they should feel really good about themselves. Because I think that, you know, they should be favored at home against Mississippi State. They play Furman in there. I mean, you're sitting at 3-2 and coming out of that stretch. Uh, You should feel pretty dang yeah. good about where you're going uh, the rest of the way speaking of your time in mississippi have you ever, did you ever hear someone say it's too small to be its own country <laughs> it's too it, but it's too big to be in a saint asylum that's what they say about mississippi <laughs> can you verify that I, I can't verify that i listen i will say i love my time in mississippi and i i will go to i will go to war for the egg bowl i love the egg <laughs> yeah, bowl yeah. I, that's listen, our favorite I, game I, yeah. I grew up in the michigan ohio state rivalry both my parents are michigan grads like i grew up in big 10 football but i i will i make my family every year now on thanksgiving watch the egg bowl because it is <laughs> my favorite thing weird stuff always happens it is is the best. I loved it. So it's uh, <laughs> it's a crazy rivalry. It, it makes college football fun for sure. Are you sensing how great of a rivalry is developing between South Carolina and Tennessee? Because I think because we're Tennessee guys, like South Carolina guys, they just bombard us every day with that <laughs> yeah. score. I'm just wondering if if you're sensing that as well. I think it's fun. I think it makes it fun, and I think that it you know the fact that Tennessee's been you know in a place where I think Tennessee's back to being first of all like majorly relevant in college football not necessarily not that they're not talked about but i think to a point where the bat on field stuff backs it up yeah i think south carolina has sort of rebuilt a little bit from sort of the tail end of must champ and i think that that makes it that both these programs are i, I think you know it's easy I, I think you have to say that tennessee is ahead of where south carolina is just based off the fact that you go and win 10 games you beat clemson in a bowl game etc like tennessee's probably a half step ahead of where south carolina is even though south carolina did win that football game um, but I do think it makes it fun because I think the teams are on similar trajectories. Yeah. You know, South Carolina's maybe, you know, I, I guess what's the best way to say it, like half a season behind maybe, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think that makes it fun, and I think it makes it a fun rivalry and, and all of that. And I think it's, you know, more of a true rivalry than <laughs> – if the SEC wants to make, you know, <laughs> a, South Carolina and A&M a permanent rivalry, fine. But, the, you know, <laughs> South Carolina and Tennessee makes a little well, more sense you know, to it's, me. It's kind of crazy because South Carolina is turning into Tennessee Twitter. You know, I've noticed. <laughs> like they hate everybody. You say something about Missouri, there's there's South Carolina. You say something about Kentucky. So I want on that note, my mentions would back you up on that too, <laughs> yeah. probably. But like, which game would be more important for them? Kentucky, Missouri, 
I don't want to put Tennessee in there because it's its own little thing. But out of those two teams, which ones do you think uh, is more important for South Carolina to win? I think it's got to be Missouri because the thing that no one talks about is Eli Drinkwitz is 4-0 and against South Carolina, yeah. dating back to when he was at App State. I mean, he's won three straight games against South Carolina and Missouri. He won the last game he played against South Carolina at App State in 20, what was that, 18, I guess. Uh, I, I mean, that is a game that every year South Carolina circles and folks there say, hey, this should be a win. And I would agree that is yeah. a game that I think South Carolina should win more years than not. And they just haven't won it. And I think that it's just it's one of those games that it alleviates so much pressure in some of those other games and makes those windows just a little bit wider for you when you're d- playing the game of, okay, you're going to win this game, you're going to win that game, whatever. Right. Like. If you're South Carolina, that is a game that you need to dominate that sort of side of things. And they just haven't. And and that's, you know, for one reason or another. And certainly there's been some wonky games in there. And, you know, it's hard to really fault South Carolina, say, two years ago, right, when they're in there with a third-string quarterback and and doing what they're doing. And, frankly, the fact that that team won seven games is still crazy to me. (laughs) But, um, you know, props to Shane Beamer and that staff because that was wild. I mean, that was a heck of a job. But, um, you know, so there's stuff like that. But the way that they just, like, you know, you're 5-2 and going into a Missouri game last year and folks are upset that – you know, they're not ranked or right on the tail end of being ranked. And then you come and kind of, you know, trip over yourself against a Missouri team that had looked kind of whatever for most of the year and, you know, ends up winning, what, five games? Like, that was not – that's the thing that I think has been a problem for South Carolina. I think that's why I circled the Missouri game. I think you got it done against Kentucky last year, so maybe it's recency bias a little bit. But – and I think Kentucky also, too, is – the other part of that, I would say, is that Kentucky's – better than where Kentucky was a decade ago. Right. I mean, I think it's impossible to ignore how good of a job that Mark Stoops has done, and even with a step back last year. I mean, Kentucky winning seven games being a disappointment, like, let's be real, talking about that ten years ago, people would say you're crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, Kentucky is a is in a point where they should be at a bowl game most years, or more years than not. And, and you know, there's years where they're winning eight games with Lynn Bowden running around at quarterback. <laughs> like, you know, they're winning ten games twice in the last, what, six years, five right. years? I mean, Kentucky is in a different state of a program than where Missouri is right now. And I think that's why, to me, the Missouri game is always – and it has been such a disappointment to me in the last two years, um, at least under Shane Beamer. What do you think it says about Shane Beamer that guys like to carry on Joiner, switching positions? You know, he had that big bowl game you referenced. Luke Doty's another one, touted quarterback. He got some reps at receiver. Now he's back. I mean, these guys usually don't stay in college football. Is that, is that more, do you think, Shane Beamer's program, or, or do you think those are just unique individuals that maybe they just they don't want to leave? I don't know if they're working on their doctorates at this point <laughs> or what, but uh, no, I mean, I, I, think the, I think that both guys are pretty selfless guys, for one, at least the two guys you, example, uh, you use as examples. I think that, you know, I think it's both. I think it's those guys are guys that want to play for South Carolina, want to yeah. be a part of the program, all of that. But I do think it's a product of Shane Beamer. I mean, like when you look at – you know, certainly I mentioned some of those guys that left in the transfer portal, but South Carolina really hasn't been hit too hard as far as attrition goes outside of – I mean, this was the first year – if you look back at the two years before with Shane Beamer and, and sort of the first two years under his watch and guys that had transferred out, I mean, there's probably I – I don't have the number in front of me off the top of my head, but I think it's like four, maybe five guys in those two classes transferred to other Power 5 schools, and that's out of like 35, 40 guys that transferred out. Uh, I say that – to mean that they're not losing a lot of guys that are necessarily transferring up or going somewhere else because they feel like they can have a better opportunity. Like it's a lot of guys going transferring down a level, and that's not a bad thing. It's just a product of what it is, and I think that that yeah. speaks to Shane Beamer's staff has been able to retain talent, uh, the high level talent that they have for the most part, and I think that it speaks to kind of where 
how people feel about the program, you know, what they feel like is going on inside the program and, and sort of the vibe of it and everything else that goes into it. And, you know, certainly winning helps as well. So it's uh, you mix all those things together, you get a lot of that. Well, there's a lot of special environments in the SEC. And, I mean, a lot of schools claim, you know, we're top five, top ten. But when it hits right, Willie B at night, undoubtedly, in my mind, top ten, seen in college football what what makes it so special on a Saturday night like that Tennessee game <laughs> yeah it, it's really crazy I mean like I, I've described it this way a couple of times it's just when those towels get going and everything I mean it looks like an avalanche I mean yeah. it really does like it envelops the whole stadium and the energy's there and obviously the new light show that they've put in is really cool and fun um it's a really cool environment, and I think it's a little bit underrated as far as, like, nationally. I think people talk about williams Price, but I think because of what South Carolina has been as a program largely in its history, it's, it's maybe a little bit under underhyped. Um, yeah. But it's, it's really cool. I think that, you know, you've got a really passionate fan base that I think that, you know, certainly there's folks that will tell you that South Carolina should go win a national championship every year, but I do think that realistic, like, South Carolina fans are generally – somewhat realistic i think it's as realistic as sec fans can be right as realistic as sec fans can be right um, but i do think that folks are largely they're informed i think they generally have a pretty good feel of what where the program's at and i think that you know more often than not people you talk to like they have a general feel that like south carolina should be sort of in that middle echelon of the sec yeah. and that should be a that's a good place to be for right now and i think that um you combine that with sort of an informed fan base a passionate fan base and, and all the environment and everything else i mean when things are clicking it's it's as good a place to watch a football game as anywhere in the country. It's really, really fun. What do you, what do you, what do you think it's going to take for South Carolina to truly compete for championships? Like, what what needs to happen? A top five recruiting class? Recruiting? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, and I, I think I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek. I think that, you know, I, South Carolina's done a really good job recruiting on the yeah. recruiting trail. I mean, they've, they've clearly taken a step up in terms of the guys they're getting. I think that... You know, this 2024 class, I think, is going to be a really interesting case study because it's the first class that really the Chain Beamers staff has had. So not a full cycle, but almost three full, almost three full years to evaluate and get on and recruit and be on. And I think that they're on pace for a top sort of 15 class at South Carolina. That goes a long way because South Carolina largely is going to be a program where you're going to you're going to bring in guys. You're going to get a few high end guys, but you're going to develop a lot of that talent if you're bringing up the bottom of that class to a higher level that carries a lot of weight at a place like south carolina where you're going to be able to develop that talent and if you have higher end talent it's obviously you're going to develop higher end products um and i think that you know for south carolina to be in that conversation i mean i think quarterback's been a question spencer i think gives you a chance for sure just because of what he is i mean i'm not saying south carolina's gonna win 12 games by any stretch of the imagination right now but i do think that quarterback's a start I think that you know coaching's a start I think Shane Beamer's got people behind him which helps Um, I think obviously the environment's really good but I do think you know the recruiting's on pace they've done a really good job in the transfer portal for the most part I think that South Carolina's you know you know it's not to the point of like Lane Kiffin and transfer king and all that but I do but I do think that uh, South Carolina's done a really good job in the transfer portal and I think they've been really they've been really good and really judicious about taking guys, not in the sense of they're just going to take guys to take guys. They seem, they've done a really good job of taking guys to fill holes and filling the right holes. And that's not something that every program does. There's, you know, there's programs that just take guys because they need, you know, it helps a headline or whatever (laughs) it might be. Not literally, but you know, it tends to, it can happen. So um, I think South Carolina has done it, has hit on a lot more guys than they've missed on in the transfer portal. And that's, that goes a long way, especially when you're trying to get older quickly. Um, So, that's a roundabout saying. I think there's a lot of things they need to do to win <laughs> to win a national championship, but um, I, I do think that they're sort of pecking in the right direction. No pun intended. Um, but <laughs> but but I do I think that. <laughs> no, I swear that was not intended. I'm going to need know, some just, more of this. this <laughs> <laughs> 
it's just good good podcasting right but yeah. uh but uh no i do think they, they are doing the right things i think they're taking a step in the right direction and you know for south carolina it's go win 10 games yeah. it's, it's put yourself yeah. in that conversation in late no in mid-november of being right. in a conversation for an sec title game or something along those lines and i think that that's the next step is that going to happen this year I don't know. I think if you're South Carolina, you finish seven and five, eight and four, bowl game coming going yeah. forward. Like, that's a pretty good place to be because that's sustained success. Three right. years. That's that's enough to say. Okay, that's some sustained. That is some sustained <laughs> success. Uh, a little tongue twister there, but um, so I think that they're moving in the right direction. Yeah. But there's still there's still a lot of work to be done. All right, Ben Portnoy from the state. Really appreciate your time. Uh, before you go, can you tell the audience where's the best place to find you? <laughs> yeah, definitely on the state.com or on Twitter at bportnoy15 or on threads, I guess now. Is that a thing, right? I think it's the same <laughs> hand. I think I have the same handle on there, so you can go go search it up. So now, now I got an extra social media thing I got to plug, I guess. Exactly, but, uh, exactly. But yeah, go ahead and go there and, and read all our, my stuff on, uh, on the state.com. Thank, all right, you. thank you so much, man. That was, that was great. Yeah, appreciate you guys. All right, so just want to say thanks, Ben, for joining the show. Next, we'll get kicking over to Mike Yuva from Gamecock Central. This was a, this was a fun interview, but I, I think Mike, kind of like Cousin Shane, he was out late. They may have been partying together for all I know, but still a great one. Had to warm him up a little bit, but here's Mike Yuva from Gamecock right, Central. We're back. Mike Yuva, Gamecock Central on three been a year since we've seen you here in person thanks yeah. so much for for joining us you said it's it's been a whirlwind How, how's nashville been treating you no it's been good second time in nashville first time i was here was for the sec women's basketball tournament went down broadway even though we still have what month to go until the season starts i'm 0-1 broadway beat me last <laughs> night beat me yeah. bad but it was uh, it was a lot of fun a lot of fun it's always cool to be able to run into people like yourself and be able to catch up with so many familiar faces and names yeah now I'm gonna give you a layup here, and I've already I've already seen you make this joke online. So I'm I wasn't a great lefty layupper, so this might <laughs> okay. not be great. So why, of all days, today Tennessee's here, but why did South Carolina bring a punter to this event? You you already know the answer, right? Well, I mean, Kai Kroger. I mean, if anyone had opportunity to listen to him, like let's say they didn't pay attention to South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, he is phenomenal. He's a game changer. Oh, yeah. And we hear so much about Beamer Ball. Beamer Ball 2.0 is what the program has been starting to promote over the last couple yep. months. But you go back and you look at some of the games that South Carolina was in last year. And the ones that just jump out to me, I think of the Georgia State game week one. Uh, two block punts, return for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I think of the Clemson game, of course. Kai playing a big role with that, with, with punting. There were so many games last season where special teams, if one or two things don't go their way from a special team standpoint. Yeah, South Carolina easily could have finished the season five and seven. Oh, yeah. So from a special team standpoint, he is as good as they come. And the crazy thing about it too is just that they actually have all their specialists coming back. Their starters. They have their long snapper. They have their kicker as well. And I know it gets overlooked with special teams, but it truly is a third of the game. And if you can have good specialists and they're doing their thing. I mean, how many times with Alabama over the years, right? Like, how, how talented those teams were, but the kicking game, it screwed up some of those games. Yeah. So I, I just say that because from a special team standpoint, and they have one of the best special teams mine in Pete Lembo as the special teams coordinator, mm-hmm. certainly it's a strong point for them. Yeah. But Beamer bringing Kroger, and I know I'm kind of rambling here, but bringing Kroger here, it sends that message, hey, we're not just talking about it, we are about it, and we're going to bring a specialist today. I'm very disappointed. In yeah, you. I thought it was the Tennessee one there. I, you were supposed to say oh, because man. Tennessee 
to, they didn't even know they had a damn punter after last Here year. Here I am, like, trying to give, like, a really good answer. And you're just – and you're like, all right, Mike. I was it was a layup uh, for you. Yeah, yeah they, didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't get to see Kai yesterday, uh, last year. We appreciate the five-minute answer on the kicker there. Man, I was just rambling about five minutes in special teams. <laughs> I do, no, I do want to ask you, because we've had a lot of folks on here. South Carolina's been a hot topic this mm-hmm. week. Mainly from Mizzou, mainly from Tennessee. I mean, anybody and everybody. Yeah. And one of the most popular takes right now is that if there were a team that needs to tamper expectations, it's South Carolina. Please tell me why they're wrong. I think where they are right now from a confidence standpoint, and it's not just the team. I'm talking about the fan base. They they have higher expectations. Now, when I say they have higher expectations, does that mean it's the same as Georgia? Does that mean it's the same as – uh, Alabama or LSU heading into this season. Certainly they're not. They're not probably where Clemson is, even though they beat Clemson last year. And I know right. Gamecock fans don't want to necessarily hear that, but that's just the reality. What they're building right now is still the foundation, mm-hmm. right? I think back to, because I covered the entire tenure of the Will Muschamp era, year three is really when things turn sideways. They had a phenomenal year two. They had a lot of talent on that team as well. They won that Outback Bowl, but they weren't able to do anything with it heading into year three. So I I think the big thing for South Carolina, and I've said this numerous times throughout the course of the summer, I haven't put my uh, predictions yet in terms of what their record's going to be. I'm going back and forth between seven and eight wins. I think if you can get to that seven-win mark, though, that's still good. Yeah. Big thing this year is just continuing to be consistent. That's what you want to be able to show your recruits. Yeah. You want to show the fan base. I'm sure if they had seven wins this year, there'd be some people that would be disappointed, people that feel like you know the world's coming to an end. But then again, that's SEC football. Yeah, and with the hesitancy of of, of the eight, there's there's probably a lingering question. Like, I, I need to know ABC. Maybe it's the offensive line. Maybe it's – is there something that, hey, if this group, steps mm-hmm. up and over uh, overachieves, then eight is very feasible. The offensive line in particular. I know it's real easy just to look at the running back room, but at the end of the day, I mean, this isn't 1980. Yeah. This isn't the 1990s. Certainly you want to be able to have a running game. It makes an impact because if you're a one-trick pony and you're just passing, defensive linemen are just going to put their hands in the dirt and they're going to know that it's going to be pass, pass, pass. It makes their life a hell of a lot easier. It's kind of like yeah. a pitcher who's just throwing fastballs, right? right. So... I think with the offensive line, they have some talented guys. Nick Gargiulo is one guy that's going to get overlooked because he's transferring in for Yale. That kid is an absolute tank. Yeah. Uh, finishing first from an offensive line standpoint in uh, drills and just like he's just fast. He's physical. My old college coach, who's now the head coach at Holy Cross and has done a tremendous job, they had a game plan against him the last couple of years, and he told me once he arrived here, he's like, this guy had no business being in the Ivy League. And he was the only captain – yeah. of Yale's team last yeah. year. So, I mean, he's, he's going to bring some leadership. If they can figure that out early, that's the biggest question. And unfortunately, and no disrespect to the Georgia State of the world, but you don't have that powder cuff game week yeah. one. Right. You go up against a Power 5 team and a very good team in North Carolina. Yeah. And I know some Gamecock fans, they want to talk, well, they don't have a defense. That's great. Yeah. At the end of the day, you need to be able to move the football. And that offensive line and being – and I asked Rattler that. I said, how do you overcome that early on? And he said, you know, it's the communication, making sure that guys are comfortable with what they're doing. And if they can do that, then they'll be able to beat North Carolina. If yeah. they don't, then I can see them losing to North Carolina. And that's kind of where that 7-8 and eight mark I keep going back and forth on. Is that is that game personal? I'm sorry, Mike. I've, I've always – Go curious. ahead, Shane. Go ahead. <laughs> well, just – 
Well, we, yeah, I had Rattler here. I didn't get yeah, a chance yeah. to talk to him. <laughs> Fantastic quarterback. But Mike started off, you know, having him pretty low in his QB ratings. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've been on record thinking Spencer's better than what people are saying. But going into that North Carolina game, they're going against another quarterback that everyone has on top of their board. Does that game, just with your conversations with Rattler, do you feel like it's a little bit more personal because here he is coming into a nurse situation as an underdog, not so much for the team, but as quarterback play? I'm sure. And, you know, there's been so much made out about Rattler and his character the last couple of years. The guy's awesome. I yeah. mean, he really is. You talk to any of his teammates, he's like, this guy is like the ideal teammate. Like, he's always, you know, team first and this and that. Like, just little things behind the scene. Yeah. I, I bring that up, though, because I keep thinking of a conversation I had with Marcus Lattimore, former Gamecock running back, and we do a podcast together. And one thing that he brought up is when you go into a game, he mentioned it from a running back standpoint, but I'm sure it would apply with this as well. When you go into a game and you hear so much all week about the opposing running back, right? You're the running back, but you're hearing so much about Team X's running back. It motivates you. So I'm sure heading into this game, they're going to be talking about May, and obviously he's a phenomenal quarterback. That will probably light Rattler and give him that spark. The big thing is, though, and I think he realized it, don't try to do too much. Yeah. Be you, right? Be you. And I think with Dal Loggins coming in here, he understands he's not going to try to force things. I think that was the issue with with um, with, the, with the old offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, that he tried to force certain things with this offense that he just couldn't do. It's like he wanted to cook a steak, but you had you – here I am. You wanted to cook a cake, but you had steak ingredients. Yeah. You're a little backwards there. Again, <laughs> chalk that up to Broadway for the win last night. So – I think they have a better idea of who they are. Yeah. And Dal Loggins, from everyone I've talked to, Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, that's the other thing, too. You hear so much about people talking about what this guy did in the, in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. I know it's not apples to apples. How was Nick Saban's career in the NFL? Well, he's yeah. a pretty good college coach, right? Like, let's give this yeah. guy an opportunity right. first before we say, wow, you know, it was the Jets and yeah. Bears. And some of the teams you're mentioning, too, you don't even have to be an NFL fan to know. He was walking into situations that – Weren't great, yeah. you know. I mean, it's not, it's not the greatest of situations. <laughs> What's your confidence level that South Carolina can be more consistent this year? Because I, I think that's a that's a fair criticism. But like across the board or offensively, you're just pretty much across the board. And and obviously with Spencer, you have to think the offense is critical. We're new offensive coordinator, but aside from the coordinator, like you said, special teams back, defensive mm-hmm. coordinator back, head coach, obviously, a lot of continuity. And it's going to be a little bit more difficult, I think, because right out the gate, we already referenced North Carolina at Georgia, at Tennessee, and, oh, don't forget, you just can't completely overlook Mississippi State, even though that's in Williams-Brice. Those are all losable games if you don't show up and you're not consistent. What gives you confidence that South Carolina can be consistent right, uh, right out the gate? I just think from an offensive standpoint, right, you I mean you look at all three phases, from an offensive standpoint, they're going to simplify things. And I think with Rattler, we saw that. We heard so much. It's, it's real cliche to say, but it truly did come down to them just simplifying the offense those last two regular season games, to be able to do what they did against Tennessee, to do what they did against Clemson. Yeah. And I think with Rattler, too, and he might not say this, but it just felt like when he got to South Carolina last year, again, we talked about it before, where he felt maybe he was trying to do too much, trying to prove to people, yeah. like, hey, you know, this is how good I am. I think he didn't 
have a true understanding of how different it was going to be with the offensive line, um, some of the lack thereof of talent at wide receiver. I mean, there was certainly some talent, but the lack thereof, especially early on in the year. And I think with Rattler, that clock that you have as a quarterback in your head, if you, you go back, and especially the first couple of games, and I know you're going up against Georgia you know, early in the year and didn't yeah. matter who you put out there at the start of the year, Georgia was going to blow out anybody. He just didn't seem comfortable in the pocket. It yeah. seemed like he would escape way too early. He would take his eyes from being downfield to just going into run mode. Or he would take off a little bit too late because of his offensive line. It was kind of like, all right, this is what I'm used to at Oklahoma. I yeah. should be able to have this extra time. No, okay? So I think the O-line is still, you know, next season it should be very good because you have so much young talent. Yeah. The only problem is when you have so much young talent recruiting, doesn't mean it's going to be good right now. And, again, that's not to say the O-line can't be good, but it's just a major question mark. But special teams, I think the biggest thing with them is just making sure you're, you're, uh, you don't take a step back. And Beamer, we were talking about it during the pressers today, you have a target on your back now. Yeah. Okay, Beamer ball, we hear all that. That's cute. But now, number one in the country last year for special teams efficiency, a lot of fakes in there. No, I, I mean, that punter. <laughs> so, you know, and defensively just need to stop the run. I mean, it's just if they can do that and they feel like they have been able to make adjustments with that, it's not just the D-line. I think the linebacker room yeah. is a question mark in the middle as well. I, like the I know I'm going all over the place no, no, here. No. Yeah, no. I, I, again, I want. Speaking of, let me just take a quick left turn here. The uh, what do you call it? The damn marketing team on. Uh, oh South yeah, Gale. Justin King and company. I oh. want to make sure I have the exact name Sprinos right. video. The creative Dang, media creative I mean, media department. I, I, these boys need a raise. And, and is, is Beamer? <laughs> is, is Beamer? I mean, is he He's their agents. No, no. Yeah, I'm just saying, man. These, so it's, 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 it blows my mind because, you know, South Carolina, when you look at some of this, these big recruiting budgets and stuff like that, you got to be creative. And, and that's one thing that I'm seeing out of South Carolina is just creativity, yeah. especially for the next chapter. That's, that's old farts, man. You know, <laughs> it, times are changing. You know, I've been trying to figure out. You don't have to ten- tell me that again. Broadway, <laughs> they're undefeated. When you hit that 30 mark and you get over, you just – you rebound a little bit differently. I work on a video so hard, and I get it out there on TikTok. It gets like 200 looks. My, my, and my daughter comes out with an eight-second cat video, and she's got 10,000. I'm like, this next chapter of, of marketing and, and recruiting and stuff like that, it just feels like South Carolina is a couple steps ahead of other programs. That's the fr- What you just said right there is spot on, which is they're ahead of it. Justin King – he was offered this position, I believe, in 2017, late in 2017. He came over either the beginning of 18 or at some point in 17. I might have the dates off a little bit. But from my understanding is that he originally turned the deal down from Ray Tanner. The athletic director reached out and said, we want you to do this. Yeah. He turned it down originally. Eventually, after some convincing, he came aboard. And look, and I may have said this on this program before. I've had many conversations this week about it. Will Muschamp away from the camera is awesome. Yeah. I ran into him back in Massachusetts. He was recruiting a defensive back at my dad's high school. And I'm up in Boston covering the Patriots this fall. I'm doing both jobs. And I pull into the parking lot, and I see Muschamp there. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the lights are dim and stuff. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, coach, don't you have a game tomorrow? Some coach you are. And he gives you that pissed off must champ stare. And then he realized it w- was me. And we just, you know, we just shoot the <laughs> shit. It was awesome. But, you know, I bring that up because 
Muschamp, because of situations that took place at Florida, and he felt like he got burned at times when he was opening himself up, and then obviously when things took a turn, yeah. that's when things got thrown back in his face a little bit. Because of that, you didn't see that openness. And when you're when you have someone like Justin King, like he goes to Beamer, and Beamer hardly ever says no. Yeah. So I bring that up, and it's not to blame Will Muschamp. I mean, there's plenty of our subscribers on Gamecock Central's message board that will do that every day <laughs> still. But the thing about it is you need a coach. Like you, you can have, like the old cliche, like you can have the tools, but you need the toolbox right. too, right? So yeah. like the fact that Beamer lets him do all this stuff, the fact that he works with him like literally hand-in-hand, yeah. hand, it was just a little different. And because of that, because of this relationship, you've really seen things take off since Beamer has arrived. Because yeah. he understands it. Going back to your – that's just where we are right now. Yeah. I think that helps him. And, and the, like the portal, prime example. Oh, now, yes. Yep. I, I think these kids, you know, that get this one last shot, they want to do it at a place they're comfortable with. And, and that's, that's again – And it's that's authentic, too. Absolutely. It's authentic. It's now, not everybody this else used car. Yeah. Everybody else hates it. But if you're on that campus and you're talking to these kids, they, they're in love with the coach. I think that makes it more beloved by the fans, yeah. too. Yeah. Who, who the hell cares what everybody else thinks? But speaking of unpopular coaches in Columbia, how bad does Beamer want to beat Eli Drinkwitz in Missouri this year? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I just found out I, I think I'm going to be heading out to Missouri this year. First time going <laughs> really? to Missouri, yeah. And I'm, cool. I, I'd be lying to you if I said that was on the top of my bucket list of places <laughs> I want to go um, ever. But, um, no, I, look, the bottom line is this. We're talking about that seven, eight-win mark. Yeah. At least for me, when I look at the schedule, even this past year, that game – it doesn't make sense for South Carolina not to be able to win. Mm-hmm. Okay, obviously this year they have to go out to Columbia. They have to go out to Texas A&M this year as well. I think that's actually back-to-back weeks of travel, which is going to be insane. But when you just look at the game for what it is, right, take the travel out, it, South Carolina should win that game. However, Missouri, kind of like Kentucky for a period of time, and I'd still say still is, right? We have to see what happens. Can you have that consistency? Can you yeah. continue to beat Kentucky? Just beat them once. That doesn't mean anything. you got to be consistent. Texas A&M. Right. Missouri just has been that thorn in the Gamecocks' backside, and it just makes zero sense. Zero sense. The way that they performed last year at South Carolina, give the Tigers credit. Yeah. USC, kind of like that Florida game, you look at that, it's just like, how the hell is that the same team that beat Clemson and then did what they did against Tennessee? It makes no sense. So, with them, it's just coming out and being the team that they should be. Yeah. Not shooting yourself in the foot and being the team that they believe they can be and not this team that just, you know, and that's the other issue, consistency. You can't just turn into a puddle, yeah, right? right? You just can't turn into a puddle in some of these games that you just expect to win. And Absolutely. I'm not saying USC expects to win, but in comparison to going up against the Georges, the Tennessees of the world. Yeah. My last question. Yes, sir. Where's a good place to get a chicken biscuit? Oh, Bojangles. Yeah. That's right. Bojangles. Where's where's my keeping? (laughs) Bojangles. Got to feed the boys. So they sent me, they sent me like 2,300 of these things. Wow. The only thing that you got to know. Ironically, that's how many I had last year. I don't know how many you want here. Just give everyone about like three. Thank you. you. Uh, Just got to use it before the end of the year. No problem. Okay. (laughs) Again, my Al Bundy moment. That is my Pokai moment. It's all downhill for me from there. Absolutely. You tried. The, I mean, the steak biscuit's not bad either. I, I've had just, that. Yeah, not bad. So, I'm sorry. I'm getting hungry again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last question for you, Mike. Yes. Really appreciate your time. 
What Beamer done, has done in South Carolina is remarkable so far. And I think the best thing for the fans, he snapped a lot of these streaks. Mm -hmm. Whether it, And there's there's only two more that he's missing, Mizzou and Georgia. And, hell, no one's beaten Georgia lately. They're, they've been so dominant. So what streaks is it vitally important that he – that, that don't flip back the other way. And let's remove Clemson off because I, I think that's, a, I was gonna say that's that, an easy answer. That's start, yeah, but starts I'm, with I'm Clemson. I'm thinking yep. just SEC. Is it Tennessee? Is it Kentucky? Is it A&M? Because a, a lot of the buzz we hear is South Carolina could be an even better football team, but the record may not reflect it. could be the same record or maybe even slightly worse, but still a better team because the schedule is such a gauntlet. If there's one game in conference play mm -hmm. that Shane Beamer and company really want to keep – on their side, what's that one game for you? I think the challenging part is with divisions going away starting next year, maybe you look at it just a little differently in comparison to how you're looking at it right now. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, I still think if you think of a team like Tennessee, you think of a team like Kentucky, those are the teams where USC is – like that, when you look at and you just lay it all out, right? Get rid of the divisions right now. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where they are from like a pack standpoint. Tennessee, obviously, and that's no disrespect to the Vols, but my point being is they feel like that's the next step, right? Like you beat Kentucky, you want to continue to go up the stairs. So I don't know where that gap is between South Carolina and Tennessee. Certainly, USC had a phenomenal game against them last year. I think Tennessee is a hell of a lot better of a team than what we saw last year. I think we'd all agree yeah. that with that. But my point being is you're somewhere in the middle of making sure that, okay, we got to take care of Kentucky, but Tennessee's that next team. And, yeah. again, divisions are going away, so it makes things a little funky. But at least the way you're looking at it right now from an East standpoint, that's the team that you want to be able to finish in front of. And I think as challenging as that's going to be, if you're able to do that and you're able to beat a, a Kentucky – you know, two years in a row. You're able to beat a Tennessee two years in a row. Now you're able to get some momentum yeah. because it's so much easier when you're winning, obviously, right? Shoot, breaking news. You know, like <laughs> what, what, what did, uh, what did um, goodness, trying to think who it was a couple of years ago, you know, you know, it's, it, it, you, you want to win, you don't want to lose. Remember yeah. that, that, yeah. that phrase on ESPN? It was just like, no, no, <laughs> no, no shit. shit. <laughs> um, but if they're able to get up to that point and now you're able to continue to win against these schools, these are the schools that you're going up against from a recruiting standpoint. I know Georgia's closer. I know yeah. there's some other place from a proximity standpoint. But at the same time, too, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, those, those guys are getting whoever they want yeah. right now. Tennessee, they're doing a really good job, but they're not on that level yet of recruiting. Mm -hmm. You need to do what you can to make sure that that doesn't happen. And right. what's the best way to do that? beat them consistently yeah. yeah all right mike really appreciate you before you go tell the audience where can they find all your work yeah you can follow me over on uh, gamecockcentral.com and if you're on twitter mike underscore uva all appreciate right. you brother. appreciate you so it much. fellas thank you <laughs> i can't believe mike missed that that layup i gave him to bash tennessee he didn't take it though but all right last south carolina interview let's kick it over to chris phillips Spurs up show. This was a good one. People give Chris hell, but I think he does a good job, uh, at least from what I've seen. And he certainly does a good job with this interview. So let's kick it over to Chris Phillips.
<laughs> uh, here with Chris uh, Phillips, Spurs Up Show. Is this your first time at Media Days? First day? time at SEC Media Days, uh, yeah. And you just got to talk to Brian Kelly. Yeah, you ask him. I should have asked him, why'd you steal Logan Diggs from Carolina? Because the Gamecocks <laughs> in a running game. But, uh, no, nah, I'm just happy to be here, man. Truly, it's it's a balance of, you know, covering the events, obviously taking it all in, though, at the same time. Because it's yeah. something that, you know, I've been watching SEC Media Days forever. And I told the story on our show that, you know, I, I remember vividly sitting on my couch in 2014. This is obviously way pre-TSUS or any type of content, if you will, in my life. and But watching the event and thinking to myself how cool it would be to, number one, be covering the event full-time, talking sports for a living. Yeah. Number two, being there in person. And so to actually be here is, you know, yesterday I was, I was kind of, it was a surreal experience. And I was like, God, what if they sent the email to the wrong guy? They're going to tell me, like, who are you? Get out of here. So, no, it's uh, happy to be here and sitting with you guys. And really that's the cool thing, too, is, is yeah. shaking hands with so many people that I've had on the show and yeah. interacted with on social media. So to be in the presence of so many talented uh, content creators or just people in this space is, is a really cool thing. So that, I think that's the biggest one. I was, I was joking with somebody the other day that we should all have our Twitter handles somewhere, <laughs> you know, because – a lot of times folks walk by and Mike's like, hey, you didn't recognize who? And I was like, I have no idea. I'm not good with names and faces. I'm yeah. good with Twitter handles. It's so. like college football Twitter just came. I saw Hen and Hooker, too. I mean, we got the stars are out in Nashville, man. Yeah, so. he was up here. He was just over here promoting the uh, Bush's Baked Beans. Yeah, right in my backyard. <laughs> hey, so. let's not sell them. They're not paying us. No, here, yeah, right yeah. no free ads, boys. Yeah. No free ads. Which hell of a chili starter. I'm just throwing that out there in case they are listening. What's your hottest uh, South Carolina take? Hottest South Carolina take. I, I would have to say it's the L that I picked to Mississippi State in week four. That's got to be. I have not caught a great reception from Gamecock fans on that one. But, you know, I look at that game, and number one, I feel like at this point, and Shane Beaver's doing great things, obviously going into his third season, which is pivotal. But do we really put it past South Carolina to potentially lose a game like that? I mean, after losing to Mizzou last year, and I think Mississippi right. State's a team that I understand the period of transition and – Nobody really knows what we're going to get because transitioning from that air raid offense to, you know, more of a balanced attack, running the football, if you will. But I still think Will Rogers is one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. And, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, you guys know, I think what's interesting when you predict games, you sit down and you say, like an individual game, you look at it differently than where does a game fall in the schedule? Who does a team play after this team? Are they mm -hmm. coming off a bye week? What point in the schedule is it, et cetera? So, you know, new offensive coordinator, they're figuring things out early. So I look at that game, South Carolina coming off the beatdown at Georgia, which is probably coming. I don't think that's a hot take. Right. Uh, going to be a tough game, physical game. Gamecocks will come home. That one, to me, just got the noon game written all over, and I think Mississippi State is a team. I, I think weird things are going to happen with the Bulldogs this year with the, yeah. uh, the spirit of the Pirate living on. I, I would not be surprised if State pulls an upset or two. I mean, I've got the Gamecocks at 7-5. and five. I do have that Mississippi State game as an L, and I've got – Carolina doing what they've done at a Beamer, which is starting out sort of slowish, if you will, and then catching fire late in the season. I've got them beating Mizzou, beating Kentucky. But that Mississippi State game is not one that sat well with folks. But I, I think the Gamecocks have real issues on the line of scrimmage, man. And I think I view Mississippi State similar to North Carolina, but better on the lines of scrimmage. Yeah. I, I, know, I know State still lost a lot, but UNC is not going to have the bodies to expose them up front. I think State could have those bodies. And I think people are going to look at Georgia as sort of a measuring stick game, and you're going to find out where your deficiencies are, where you still have a long way to go. But I think State's more kind of that game as far as, okay, this is kind of where we are, a team, right. SEC team on our level. How do we stack up? So, again, short answer, picking an L to Mississippi State has not sat well with the Gamecock families. <laughs> that Tennessee game last year, how, how high does that rate on the greatest nights of your life? Hey, you really want to bring that up? Talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I listened to uh, Cousin Shane. There it is. There's the signature. He needs to pop one now. He needs to pop one now. Um, 
you know, because I know you guys have brought up, you get reminded yeah. about it pretty much every single day. And actually, it's funny, I actually had a guy from Channel Tennessee on, uh, we're doing our SEC team previews, and, you know, I asked him how many times you heard about it. He's like, I've had to mute more people than you could imagine on the Twitter <laughs> app. But, uh, no, being there in that building, I mean, you guys know, I mean, I picked Tennessee to win that game 59-13. to 13. Everybody I, did, I gave yeah. the Gamecocks no chance, and, I mean, I had to eat it the following week. And, like you said, nobody gave South right. Carolina yeah. any sort of chance yeah. after that Florida game. And, I mean, witnessing it in person, I was like, okay, at some point Tennessee's going to get it going. They're going to make right. a late comeback. And it just it never happened. And Spencer Rattler, I mean, I put that right up there with the greatest performances in school history. Obviously what Steven Garcia did against Alabama yep. in 2010. But, I mean, that was – I think Spencer Rattler would have probably beaten anybody in college football that night. So storming the field was the really, really cool part. I've got a piece of the, uh, the Willie B. Hedges yeah. in the studio actually framed. <laughs> so. Cool. It's one of those really cool things. I just think to myself, when are we going to storm the field again? Because yeah. Greg Sankey talking about the, the fines, and I was wondering when he was talking about this, should I start booing right after, <laughs> after the <laughs> – that would be a great SEC Media Day's uh, debut. But, uh, no, nah, it's – I mean, for me, it's it's up there at the top for sure. I mean, it's, it's one of the top two or three I'd say experiences I've ever had, you know, as a South Carolina fan inside Williams-Brice. I yeah. want to piggyback off that because not only did you end well with, with Tennessee and Clemson, more importantly – but what does that do for expectations going into this season? Because I'm telling you right now, man, I've talked to a lot of Gamecock fans, and if it's like short of 10 wins, they're <laughs> going to be pissed off. So I'm just kind of curious your perspective. You know, where should those expectations be, and should we tamper those a little bit, or should we embrace that we're here now? I think if South Carolina can get back to eight wins under yeah. Shane Beamer in year three, I think that would be a massive success. And I think what that would do and why it's so pivotal is it would set that as sort of the new benchmark. I mean, we yeah. all know South Carolina historically has been a five and seven, six and six program. They right. just kind of floated or waddled around in mediocrity. You go eight and four again this year and show that what you did last year wasn't any sort of fluke the last two games because that's what's going to happen, right? If you start out slow or right. you play poor, people are going to say that was a fluke, right? Especially yeah. Tennessee fans. Um, but anyways, if you can get back to that eight-win mark and certainly exceed that, I think you're setting sort of that new bar at South Carolina. And I'm not saying because I've picked seven and five. I don't think that would be a failure. I look at this team, yeah. you know, very similarly to last year in regards to I think you're probably a little bit better offensively. I think you could potentially take a step back defensively. I love the addition of Travian Robertson at the D-line coach spot, but I just got to see the run game stop somebody before right. I say they're going to make some huge leap. So, um, you know, I, I think expectations, you know, it's interesting. I feel like the hype train for South Carolina since January has actually somewhat lost a little bit of steam, you know, fresh yeah. off that season, you know, winning eight games, even with the bowl loss in her name, you had to, you know, my way too early expectations yeah. or predictions. I had nine and three back in January. Yeah. And then I think it's like as we get closer, the warts start to become more obvious, the question marks start to become greater. Yeah. And the closer you are to the program, obviously, you know of all the question marks and deficiencies or potential deficiencies. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think expecting this team to get back to eight wins is fair. Uh, because I think at some point, obviously, you just got to overcome all yeah. the doubt. You got to break through, and I said that last year too. At some point, you can't just keep saying, "Okay, well, you should lose this one. You should." You got to win some games right. you shouldn't, and I think that's the factor Shane Beamer has brought in. That you know they love being the underdog. I mean, Tennessee, Clemson, nobody gave him a shot. Um, you look throughout his tenure. You know they did the same thing to Auburn, to Florida, to North Carolina, and the Duke's right. Mayo Bowl in his first year. So all they've done in his first two years is overachieve, and they'll look to do the same. But I, I think setting the expectations at eight is is fair. Yeah. Um, guys, I think anything beyond that is probably asking a little bit too much. And you can't afford opinion. a slow start. So, I mean, you got yeah. North Carolina week one. 
I mean, how 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 important is that game? I mean, it's, it's a pivotal game. Yeah. And it's a tale of two teams because North Carolina lost their last four in a row. Yeah. South Carolina, the way they finished the season, even with the, the the Gator Bowl loss, I mean, whatever it is, what it is. But the way the Gamecocks finished versus the way UNC finished, very different. And again, we just had Andrew Jones, a Tar Heel illustrator, on the show, and he talked about the importance for them too. So, a lot of people want to label it the most important game of the season for South Carolina. I, yeah. I wouldn't go that far because we've just seen the Gamecocks under Shane Beamer. You know, one of the traits of a well-coached football team is they get better as the season goes on, right. and they've done that, right? Yeah. So I, I think South Carolina, even if they lose to UNC, they could steal one maybe in Knoxville. No, they could steal, they, <laughs> they could, they could steal one late hey, in the season uh, again, yeah. like an Adamazoo, a Kentucky, yeah. maybe a Clemson again, right, right? And and get back to the seven or eight win range. But I think if you're going to, you know, meet the expectations of Gamecock fans, get to that eight win spot, you probably do need to beat North Carolina because yeah. I don't think it's going to be a good sign before the, the competition Absolutely. obviously only gets stiffer. But it'll be a great test for South Carolina. I've talked about it. I'm already picking the Gamecocks to win that game because I don't think UNC has those bodies in the line of scrimmage to necessarily expose them. But you got two brand-new corners, too. Right. And Drake May, if there's not a pass rush, he's going to pick you and everybody else apart. So right. it's a huge game, no doubt. I think a tone setter for both programs. You think that's the biggest challenge for Beamer and company is consistency? Because they've, they snapped so many streaks. They basically snapped them all side of short of Georgia, and no one's beating Georgia. Right. So, uh, you know, he's got to beat Clemson again, A&M, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Florida. I mean, he's beating all these teams. If he's – I'm not saying they're going to lose to all of them, but if it, any one of those, I think some Carolina fans, particularly Clemson and maybe Tennessee, if you lose to those, it's almost like I don't know if the program's really taking a step back, but it, it may feel like that to some some fans. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, the, the way fans, I think, justify progress too, maybe is unfair in some instances, right? I, I look at it this way, and I viewed Shane Beamer's first five years as such. As long as you're making bowl games and you're recruiting at a top 20 level, because that, that's where it's won and lost, man. It's yeah. Jimmy's and Joe's. I mean, you can bring in – I don't think Marcus Satterfield was very good. I obviously wanted him out of Columbia. But until you have the Jimmy's and Joe's on the offensive line, the line of scrimmage, which they're recruiting, you're not going to run the football consistently. And also, too, you speak to consistency, and I talk about it, you talk about it, we all talk about it when it comes to the Gamecocks. But there's a lot of teams, those middle-of-the-pack SEC teams, that are fighting for consistency. I mean, yeah. we, we could use that word – with so many of them. But, you know, I think, guys, again, until you improve in the line of scrimmage, it's going to be hard to find consistency because I think you just – you run into matchups that – you know, in Missouri, for example, no Gamecock fan out there thinks that South Carolina should be losing to Mizzou. Gamecock fans look at Mizzou as below right, right. South Carolina football. I saw a tweet that they – That's kind of like was, they, they used to do that Kentucky. Exactly, though, right? and that's become the new Kentucky streak. I think it was yeah. even a tweet to you – that said, even if we lose to Missouri, Missouri's not better than us. And I was like, who's going to tell him that's not how football works, right? So it's 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 one of those things where, you know, snap, snapping streaks is pivotal, and that's certainly one I think is right at their top of the priority list. It's it's hard to, and this is no disrespect to Mizzou, but I felt the same way about Kentucky. It's yeah. it's just no, it's hard to convince people that you're really on the up and up as a program if you have a if you lose this year a five game losing streak to right. Missouri Tigers, or when you had a six game losing streak to Kentucky. It's it's right. It's just really hard to convince people that, hey, we're, we're next up, number two in the East, challenging Georgia. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. definitely showing more consistency is something, though, they need to do as a program, you know, defensively stopping the run, offensively run the football. But Spencer Rattler, which you guys have talked about a lot, I know you yeah. caught some flack for having him, what, ninth <laughs> in your, your postseason rankings, which it is funny, by the way, to both of you that people, you know, 
it's funny to watch people on Twitter or on social media that don't read the fine print <laughs> that you guys are doing a podcast like we're doing this from this team's perspective, win, toss, loss, <laughs> yeah. and then they go different. Are you doing the quarterback rankings? But they don't realize for win, and it's like people just lose their minds. It's kind of funny to watch people eat themselves alive. Like I that told Mike, media. I could not wait for that segment to be <laughs> over with, so I didn't have to explain it anymore. <laughs> yeah. But it was awesome, it, seriously. Yeah. And as a fan perspective, you know, when we did South Carolina, we, I, I, I think you got some great pieces, man. I, I like this Knox kid. I love Wales. I think, I think Juice is one player that's not getting the recognition he deserves. But, uh, yeah, you've got some pieces. It just needs some emerging talent to step up, mainly on the offensive line, defensive front. Yeah, the offensive line to me is just yeah. the biggest question. And I mean, I, I know it's it's lather, rinse, repeat. And I know Gamecock fans get so tired of hearing about it. But And Shane Beamer give them all the credit in the world. They're doing everything they can to address that in recruiting. But when you lose Jalen Nichols in the spring yeah. game, which was just devastating to yeah. see. He's going to be out minimum the majority of the season. So, you know. Can you rely on the transfers like Nick Gargiulo from Yale, Jackson Hughes from Charlotte, the the Mercer transfer whose name escapes me, uh, and then a bunch of guys who, you know, ha- have played for you. But, you know, again, this is returning from the offensive line that last year that ranked outside yeah. the top 100 in rushing offense. So, you know, for me, guys, there's a lot of reasons. And I think Dowell Loggins, if South Carolina is able to get it going early, which, by the way, you know, you think to yourself, new OC, there's a grace period. Right. Absolutely not. No, yeah. I think people are expecting Absolutely. right out the jump, you play a porous North Carolina defense. You, I think you have to score 30-plus to win yeah. the game. Furman, expecting fireworks. I mean, Georgia's going to be Georgia, but then Mississippi State, you know, we're kind of off and running. So I think people are expecting that with Spencer Rattler, Juice Wells back, like you mentioned, because there are pieces there, there are weapons. There's going to be no excuse, even yeah. with the offensive line troubles. There's going to be no excuse for South Carolina not to be an explosive offense. So um, it does come back to the line of scrimmage, but if Dowell Loggins somehow can scheme around that, make yeah. some things happen, just find enough of a running game to right. present the maybe the illusion of balance because that's what my biggest fear is that South Carolina is going to get in some games where, I mean, you guys know, I don't care what pieces you have. If you get one-dimensional and a defense knows what you're yeah. going to do, you don't have much of a chance. And, so, and at times you did last year. Right, for know? sure. And, that's again, that's where the inconsistencies come in. I think that's where you see South Carolina have a Missouri game where they score 10 yep. points and they look lost. And hopefully there's going to be less of that with the Dowell Loggins uh, experience in Columbia. You know, obviously Marcus Satterfield, that's another dirty word in Columbia, <laughs> I feel like. But, uh, no, nah, it's, it's you know, there's definitely pieces to succeed there, both offensively, defensively. And, again, it's a lot like these other middle-of-the-pack teams. There's reasons that you could say South Carolina could be the breakout team and go 9-3 yeah. and three and – there's a lot of reasons you could say they could go six and six. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like what do we get? Well, and Who I think with Loggins, it's, we're not reinventing the wheel here. Right. We just need to build off what was working last year. Yeah. And I think, you know, Beamer said that a few times. So, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think. What's your honest thoughts on that on on that hire and everything? I mean, is it wait and see? I mean, because I, I think, I mean, I get there's people with Gamecock glasses on. Yeah. But I think the fairest thing is just complete wait and see. Because yeah. he's, a, he's a complete unknown in college football play, calling plays. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I think to call it anything other than a question mark would be, again, having Gamecock bias. And I was someone that, again, maybe it wasn't a popular take, but I don't try to give the popular take. I just try to give my honest take. And when yeah. Dowell Loggins was hired, I mean, guys, I'd never heard of Dowell Loggins. Right, I mean, that name right. came up and, uh, you know, it's a question mark. But I mean, bottom line. That doesn't guarantee it's bad either. Exactly. I didn't, I didn't no, know exactly. who, who the hell was Joe they, Brady. Right, I never heard of right. that yeah. guy. They've said, they've said, and Liam they said Cohen. All the, I never they, heard of that they guy. They said all the right things in his introductory presser, simplifying, getting the playmakers, yeah. continue. To your point, I don't think they're reinventing the offense at all. I think they want no. to take what they did well in the last three games of the season because you look at Spencer Rattler, I think it was he was at eight touchdowns, nine picks in the first yeah. ten games and ten touchdowns and three picks in the last three. Right. So, Taking what you did in those last three games, carrying that over, he's going to put – Dowell put his own wrinkles in it. 
They're going to obviously, as a staff, put new wrinkles in it going in the season, but making thin, things easy and simple for Spencer Rattler, Juice Wells, the playmakers on this football team to simply go out and make big plays. But, you know, again, to answer your question, I mean, I, I think it's a question mark. I, I do. I think it's a, you know, you've got to trust Shane Beamer if you're a Gamecock fan. To call it anything other than a roll of the dice, I think is just, again, unfair. This is a guy that we got to give both sides of the story. He was named the worst play caller in the NFL. The right. NFL is not college, but this is a guy that's never called a play at the collegiate level, not just Power 5, not just SEC, but collegiate level. My biggest thing, Mike, is this. You know, most of these coaches or all these coaches, they, they start out with their script, 15, 20 plays. What do you do late in a ball game when it's a situational type deal and in-game play calling, having that killer instinct? I think that's something you just don't know until it happens. So, to your point, Dabble Loggins could work out and be the best thing since sliced bread, or it could go the other way. And it's, yeah. it's a pivotal hire for Shane Beamerman because the last thing you want – is if you miss on a second OC to be labeled, well, this guy's charismatic, he can recruit, he's a you know great coach, all things considered, but he cannot identify a good offensive coach, or he just can't land one. Yeah. So I'm not saying that's going to happen. I think nobody can be worse than Marcus Satterfield, but just how much <laughs> of an upgrade is he, we shall see. Yeah. Well, let's sit here and say Spencer Rattler is first team all SEC at the end of the season. What has happened to, to get that done? And if I'm guaranteeing you that that, that happens – what will South Carolina's record be? What will have to happen to get that done is the offensive line will just have to step up and, and give him time to throw. Also, they don't have to be an elite running game. Just, I'd say, top ten in the SEC. I mean, the expectations are low. My expectations for the running game just finished inside the top 100 nationally. Yeah. I, that would be a step forward, obviously. <laughs> so give him some sort of balance, but also you know keep things sim- simple to where he and Juice Wells, Trey Knox, Nicholas Harbor, Amari and Brown to carry on Jordan at the running back position can go out, make plays, and flourish. And if he's first team all SEC guys, I mean, South Carolina is a 9 <laughs> and 3. I mean, they might yeah. be a 10 and 2 team. I yeah. mean, truly. So, um, you know, I, I think if that were to happen, the offensive line just simply has got to step up, give him time. More of what we saw in the Tennessee and the Clemson games and much less of what we saw in the 10 games previous. You got one last question, Shane? Because I, I, I got one, but I want to save it to last here. <laughs> no, I just, I, again, I just, I like the perspective. And, yeah. and, you know, because we've been singing the same thing. And, and I, I, I really think that for South Carolina to take that next step, that Loggins-Rattler relationship, has got to blossom, you know. You were talking about what happens 15, 20 plays, and, you know, I think at that point, if you've got a quarterback like Rattler, as good as we think Eddie is, mm-hmm. you know, how much freedom does he have at the line of scrimmage? So, yeah. you know, that's the growth I want to see because he came back for a reason. He wants to go to the NFL. This is an opportunity for him to prove to the NFL that he's capable to, of running a team. And, and that's a great point you make, Cousin Shane, too. Is I mean, this is such a Wait, big year Can you year say that him. again to the yeah. camera? <laughs> Cousin Shane made a great point, by the way. No, I mean, this is a huge year for him personally. Yeah. And Juice Wells. This is a money yeah. year, man. Go out yeah. and get the bag. This is it. Like, this is it. Put up the numbers. Put up the stats. So, I mean, they'll, surely there will be plenty of motivation there. Um, you know, again, ha- having young guys step up, though, in the offense. Marquis Anderson on the offensive line, maybe a guy you got to just thrust in there and play him immediately. He was a yeah. big-time four-star signee. Um, you know, Nicholas Harbor on the outside, he's sort of the next factor that nobody knows what he can do. I think if he could put up 25 catches, that would be a really, really good freshman year. Yeah. He sort of gets used to the nuances of the offensive scheme and the, and the wide receiver position specifically. Could on Joyner, who's a folk hero already yeah. at Columbia, be the emergence at running back? So, again, I always tell people this. There's the garnet glasses way of looking at things, and there's the chicken curse way of looking at things, and then there's right in the middle, which is where we all try to be, obviously. Right. And so there's so many question marks. Some things, they're going to overachieve, underachieve. 
be right as we expect. So you're just hoping more of these question marks work out in the positive than the negative. Right, absolutely. All right, Chris Phillips, Spurs Up Show, last question for you. How many points does Tennessee beat South Carolina this year? <laughs> well, if you go off my predictions, I think I said 17. I, I'll tell you guys this, and it's not because I'm, I'm trying to make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I broke these games down, and it's so funny, by the way, in wins, toss-ups, and losses. And, of course, I throw out the graphic, and I've got like eight toss-ups for Carolina. And people right, are like, right. what a coward. He can't make a prediction. I'm like, the prediction graphic's coming in like two hours. Just give it a little bit. So I put Tennessee in that toss-up bucket. And I think after what happened last year, after we were just all so certain and sure there's yeah. no way the Gamecocks are beating Tennessee, I felt like it was unfair to put that as a sure L. Of all the toss-ups, that one to me is the one that I think is least likely to be a win for South Carolina. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys know it. I've heard you talk. I've seen Tennessee Twitter. If there is one game that I expect Tennessee to show up and play their best, if there is one game that I expect Vol Nation to show up and pack out Neyland Stadium and be loud from probably 60 minutes before kickoff until they're partying down there at at Beans down there in downtown Knoxville (laughs) – it is the South Carolina game. And yeah. if that's a night game, God forbid. I, I just, Tennessee probably brings the black jerseys back out. <laughs> It'll be ghosts of old when Lane yeah. Kiffin did it back to him back in the late yeah, 2000s. That's but, right. I mean, listen, I, I think Tennessee, they're going to have that one circled. I mean, that's a huge game for both programs. They yeah. split one and one right now. Both programs feel like they're on the up and up. And I feel like if it's something, if, if South Carolina is able to do the unthinkable, beat Tennessee in Knoxville, Maybe Shane Beamer starting to tout, hey, I, I've got Josh Heupel's number. But yeah. Yeah. And they don't play I, I just, again in 2024. They don't play either, again. That's so a very good point. That's a lot of shit talking. Yeah. Trust me, it's been a long offseason. You know? yeah. I can't imagine two years of it. <laughs> I, but, I, but, again, picking that game, I, I just, I'd be stunned if yeah. the Gamecocks got that yeah. W. Just because, of again, that's a game where Tennessee met. Could you argue that Tennessee was overlooking South Carolina? I, I don't know, but there's no chance uh-huh. that happens right. this year. No. No chance. Before you go, Chris, can you tell our audience where to find all your work? Yes, I'm Chris Phillips, the Spurs Up Show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, uh, everywhere else you can find anything. Um, we do a daily live show on YouTube called The Daily Crow, which airs noon to 3, and we do take questions, comments, calls, if you will. So any Tennessee fans checking this out, <laughs> y'all want to chime in? We have Georgia fans, Texas, you name it, call in, talking smack, but we're just talking ball and uh, – Podcast drop daily on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. So we're all over at the Spurs Up Show and Mike and Cousin Shane. I appreciate the opportunity, yeah, truly, man. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Glad having you. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. All right, perfect. All right, last but not least, let's kick it over to Ole Miss where Lane Kiffin, I think he he probably was out on Broadway himself. His hair was messed up. He was giving short answers. Didn't want to get into much aside from talking about people's mothers, which was obviously hilarious. But one thing, and again, these are not great. I'm it was like pulling teeth here to get good comments from Lane Kiffin, but I don't think enough people are talking about Queenshaw Junkins and what he could be for Ole Miss this season. Let's kick it over to Lane. Here, Montgomery. Um, right, right here doesn't help. Sorry, me. right. Quinshawn yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Junkins, uh, what can you say about just the the person that he is to be able to bring him as a sophomore and what he meant to your your offense and your team last year? Yeah, it's really amazing as a freshman to be able to do that and that many carries. I think he led the conference in carries, yards, and touchdowns. And um, to do that as a freshman, um, he has an elite mindset. And to be able to carry the ball that many times and um, late in games still running strong. So we actually think he can get a lot better, um, like anyone from their first to second year. So we're really excited to see that develop. So again, Junkins and a little backstory on him. For those that don't know, 
is, you know, it's well documented. I think he was a three-star recruit, Lane Kiffin in the stands there, but most people have seen that photo. But where Judkins, who I believe he's from Alabama, I believe he played for a smaller school, he carried that team to a state title. And I think it was, you know, this is a school that I, I do not believe is ever in contention for things of that nature. They won it under with Judkins running the ball. And why I bring that up, I mean, it's it's what Kiffin says. I mean, this, this guy's got an elite mindset. It's very rare to have true sophomores at SEC media days. I, In fact, I can't really remember the last true sophomore that's come to the event. And if he can take over games, you know, he's not Derrick Henry. He's not Leonard Fournette. He's different than those guys. But if he can have that kind of impact on the football game, Devon Archain, which – it may be a bad one to bring up because they were so awful last year, but he certainly was not. Uh, Nick Chubb. I mean, these are the type of comparisons that Jugkins is not getting now, but I think by the end of the season and the end of his career at Ole Miss, I think he could be in that same class, and it could really propel Ole Miss to heights that many people are not suspecting because they may have the best offensive weapon in all of college football in Jugkins this fall. Uh, now, I also think, I've been very clear on this show. I think Jackson Dart's in for a big year. I've got him number three in my quarterback rankings in the SEC. Uh, let's kick it over to Lane Kiffin talking about year two with Jackson Dart in this system. Uh, Coach, on Monday, Fadil Diggs said the quarterback he went up against that gave him the most trouble as an edge rusher was Jackson Dart. I just want to ask, how has Dart developed since he came in from USC last year, and what do you expect from him in his second year at Ole Miss? Well, Jackson's had a great offseason. Um, again, in this portal world, we just think everybody's going to be great right away, you know, um, expectations. And so it was his first year in our system, and he was competing to be the starter all the way till I think, the third game of the year so or fourth game of the year. So he, he's really developed well on and off the field, become more of a leader, and um, we're really excited about him. And then last little bit, this was pretty funny. I'll, I'll give it to him here. But uh, Giffen calls out Paul Feinbaum for saying Nick's, you know, he's always doubting Nick Saban, always uh, dissing the greatest of all time. He's doing it again. And so Lane Giffen insinuates, hell, Alabama's just going to be damn awesome again this fall. Coach Michael Brauner, WNSP in Mobile. You obviously have a pretty documented relationship with Nick Saban. I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit and just talk about how much he's meant in your coaching career. Well, I'm extremely grateful to Coach Saban and our time together, and most importantly, him giving me an opportunity to, to learn from him. And, um, I mean, he's the best to ever do it. I've said it before. I really do believe he is the best coach to ever do it because, like you guys know in here, I kind of I take in all the information and look at it instead of just like, okay, a record. He's done it in a time of scholarship limitations where some of those older coaches didn't have them and they could – I mean, what, what if Nick Saban didn't have an 85-year-old? What would his roster look like if he had 150 scholarships to give? And also he's done what I don't think anybody did over time of do it continually with so much staff turnover. You know, so many, so many people are hired off of his staff. Other places are to be head coaches. And, you know, it's kind of like – man, all these first-round picks, and he loses these coordinators, like, you know, that's why we have Feinbaum, so he can motivate him every other year and say, 
oh, his dynasty's over, and, and you know, this is the end of Saban, and then we're like, hey, thanks a lot for pissing him off. Um, and Paul's always wrong on this subject, so, um, and he just did it again the other day. You know, if he doesn't make the playoffs, you know, you know he's not any good as a coach. So thanks, thanks, Paul. <laughs> All right. That was the probably the best one, aside from his mother comment. That was the best one Lane Kiffin had at Media Days. But uh, let's kick it over next to Michael Katz from the Daily Journal down there in Mississippi. Always a great time. Dr. Noir buddy, Michael Katz. Where, where should I be looking here? Uh, just anywhere. You guys? Not? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, whatever you want to okay. do. Yeah. We don't care. <laughs> we're, <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not that crew. Yeah. You know what I mean? What kind of outfits you've been hanging out with? You know? <laughs> We're not even sure his cameras work. <laughs> it's plugged in, though. All right, Michael Katz here covering Ole Miss live from SEC Media Days. How's it going, brother? It's great to have you back on. I just I can't believe the season is already here. I swear it was just like baseball season, and then it yep. was I had two weeks off. And then I came back, and I had two days back in Oxford, and it was like, all right, let's time, let's do football. Let's it's, do it's, it. it's crazy. It's exciting, though. I'm really excited. What's it like covering Ole Miss, given the fact that uh, every offseason we say the same damn thing, mm-hmm. no idea what to make of this team because of the portal. Now you got some coaching transition, lane, the, the curveballs, everything. But specifically on the field, how the hell do you figure this team out in the offseason? Well, that was, that was, I was talking to somebody else today, and I was like, you know, they finally, they, you know, Jackson Dart wasn't perfect last yeah. year, but he had a, a nice year, uh, and you, you think it's all settled. Uh, and then you bring <laughs> in a guy who started four years at Oklahoma State and yep. a four-star kid who played at LSU, and it's like it just gets more confusing uh, every time. And uh, it's it, it's never simple uh, yeah. in, 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 in Oxford. But, you know, it's I, – I think this team is good. Yeah. But – I think the schedule is really tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know that schedule last year looks pretty nice. Right now they <laughs> got to ease Georgia out of the East. Yeah, yeah, I mean you know last year they got to kind of ease into things. Their first real test was Kentucky in week five or six. Mm-hmm. They played Tulane week two this year. Uh, you know I'm a USC guy. I've been hurt <laughs> personally <laughs> by the Green Wave. Uh, that's not going to be an easy game. Uh, and you know they've got this stretch of. I don't know the order off the top of my head, but it's Arkansas, LSU, Bama, and and uh, uh, Auburn, and that's it's yeah. br- I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal. Um, I, you know, I, the offense, Lane Kiffin offenses are always going to be they're going to average thirty-five to forty. That's just what they're going to do. Right. The quarterback situation. I've been on the record. I, it's hard for me not to see it being Jackson Dart, just given everything we've heard and uh, you know progression year two you expect him to, to take some steps uh you know they got one of the best running backs in the country they're, they're going to be fine there you know, the peak holding defense we'll, we'll see how that looks i think this team's going to be a lot better yeah than it was last year but i don't know if that equates to a better record right if that makes sense let me let me ask about jackson dart though because i don't know if you've seen it i put up my quarterback rankings they always go viral everyone's <laughs> talking about it people everybody but i got jackson dart third Saw that, and that I'm 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 not saying today's the third best. That's because that'd be crazy. But what I'm saying is, at the end of the season, I think he could be regarded as the third best quarterback in the SEC, playing for Lane Kiffin, having perhaps the best running back in the country next to him. Is that a crazy take, or or could you? Not that you're right there with me, but could you see that 
becoming the case that Jackson Dart's the third best quarterback in this conference. I, I 100% could see it. Um, just because, uh, you know, you look at what the base was last year. Again, I know he, he took some lumps, and when it rained, it poured. Mm -hmm. the, the game that comes to mind is that game in Baton Rouge where uh, they're about to retake the lead, and he throws that pick in the end zone, and it all just sort of spiraled from there. And the season kind of, to yep. an extent, spiraled from there. Uh, losing, you know, five of six to end the season. Um, but, uh, you know, for a first year in a completely new offense, he was 19 for most of last year. Uh, he, he did pretty well. And, uh, you know, historically under Kiffin, quarterbacks have really taken a jump uh, in yeah. year two. Um, you know, I'm an SC guy. Matt Barkley was uh, his quarter, his first quarterback at SC. Year one, he think he threw 26 touchdowns. Year two, it was 39. The completion percent up, percentage went up about five or six percent. Matt Corral's first year under Kiffin, he was a turnover monster. I mean, everybody mm -hmm. remembers the, the Arkansas, Arkansas and the LSU yeah. games. Uh, he was as good of a caretaker of the ball his last year as anybody in college football. Um, so I think uh, if you look at what this offense is going to be, they're going to run the ball. We know that. Quinshawn Judkins is as good as it gets. Jackson's a really good runner, too. And I think that element of keeping teams on their defenses on their toes uh, that and just I think that he's more comfortable. He sounds more comfortable. Everybody just had really good things to say about him uh, this spring, not just from a, a, you know the X's and O's perspective, but just kind of uh, taking the bull by the horns. And you know when you bring in guys uh, at your spot, you can either sit and pout, or you can you know you know, ch take the challenge. And everybody said that Jackson's really taken it well, and so yeah. um, I, I think. You know, I, I, it's always hard to know what the numbers will look like, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has a, a really nice year because, one, I think he's really, really talented, and two, Lane Kiffin tends to put quarterbacks in a really good spot. Oh, yeah. Now, is this the one that reported Lane going to Auburn? No, I'm just kidding. brother. That was a fun week. Oh, man. Uh, I, I, I mess with you. I, I, you know, I listened to Lane in there, and, and it was kind of a breath of fresh air for some of the coach speak we've heard this week. Clearly, he's trying to get a couple things out there, the NIL, the, the two transfer portals. Let me ask you, uh, knowing Lane, if, if, if you could – if he could pick one right now, would he want the NIL taken care of, or would he would he switch back the the portal to to one window and, and make it a little bit easier there? That's a really good question. It's it's always dangerous to try to get in the mind of uh, of, of anybody, um, but I, I would probably say the NIL thing just because. Uh, the term free agency has come up a lot yeah. with Lane, and I think we all remember his salary cap uh, comments uh, in regards to uh, another school in this conference yeah. mm -hmm. uh, last year that happens to be in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that, like, if, if that got sorted out, I don't think the rest of it manifests itself the same way because then it's just guys looking for playing time and yeah. and that kind of thing. I, I think the, the NIL, and, and he said it, he is in support of players getting paid. That's never been the issue. It's it's not equal because not every school is playing with the same budget. Yeah, um, exactly. Someone, someone asked him to uh, power rank boosters in the <laughs> SEC today, and I, I almost lost it. It was, it was an incredible question, and his answer was, I, I, I'm not going to do that, but God, I wish I could. <laughs> it was just absolutely amazing. Um, 
But I think the fact that there there are disparities yeah. uh, depending where you are, and you know, Oxford's you know, Ole Miss has done a really nice job with its collective. I mean, there's no doubt yeah. about that. That's a really growing thing, but. Uh, you know, especially when Texas and Oklahoma come in here, that's going to be really tough to compete with. And so, I, I, I again, it, it's hard to know where he would land on that one. But yeah. I, I really think that if the NIL thing is regulated or, or I don't know, just has some more structure, I think the, the, the portal stuff would kind of take care of itself. Yeah. Would he be saying that, though, if Ole Miss had the top boosters? I mean – no, and, and again, that is uh, that's that's a really good point. Yeah. I'm sure if, if you have the best boosters, you probably love this yeah. because you know you're you're like you're like the the Yankees back in the day when you could just buy everybody. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, it's the Dodgers, and you're the team that if you can afford it, yeah. why wouldn't you? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, I think it really does depend where where you stand. Yeah. Now, Judkins, all Ole Miss fans know what a dynamic player he is. I don't know if the country really recognizes how great of a player he is. Uh, I know Heisman is, is uh, not only is it incredibly difficult for any player, but particularly a running back to, to be in contention. The last running back, I believe, that won it, Derrick Henry. Yeah, that was so long ago now. Who was his yeah. coach? Who was his OC? Lane Kiffin. Uh, before that, Amari Cooper. I mean, they force – I mean, Kiffin will force feed the beast on the team. Absolutely. And the, and the beast is Judkins. So, I'm not sitting here saying – He'll win the Heisman, but what what will it take for Jokins to be a Heisman finalist this fall? It's it's really funny uh, that you bring that up because uh, when he has his playmaker, he's going to do whatever. Because yeah. at SC when I was there, Marquise Lee uh, won the Blitnikoff, and he had like a hundred and ten twenty. It was an insane amount of catches because he was the best player. You give the best player. Uh, the ball and Judkins is and Lane has said it. There's no doubt he's he's your alpha. He's your yeah. guy. Uh, I, like you said, it's it's so hard for running backs um, unless you are on like Derrick Henry was amazing, but Derrick Henry was also on like the best team in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless Ole Miss is in that stratosphere, like the New Year's Six conversation, I don't know if it's going to be possible because you know he could put up two thousand yards, but. I don't know if it'll really matter in the national spotlight, if that makes sense. I think he's as good as anybody. He um, well, let's say he gets well, let's say he gets red hot yeah. in a game against a Georgia, against an Alabama, uh, LSU. Uh, maybe not win the Heisman, but do you think he's he's good enough for in a one game situation to carry them to a massive upset this fall? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> he almost did it a couple times last year. I mean, Alabama that game. He's the reason they almost yeah. scored the go touchdown in there. We'll, questions about the play calling towards the end because he wasn't in the game uh, on the last part of that drive because they were down some ball carriers and he, he was uh, he was he was tired yeah uh, and they started throwing the ball and it, it didn't work out on that last drive and the coulda shoulda woulda about uh, you know your best player just got you here why wouldn't you you know, keep giving the ball. Uh, I think in those situations this year I, there's no question they're going to keep feeding them in those yeah in those moments. Um, I think he's he's dynamic, and I think the thing this year too is, and and we saw this a little bit in the spring. I know it's dangerous to look at spring football as like anything uh, of, of note, but especially uh, for Kiffin. Yes, I mean, he's just <laughs> yeah. let's light up the damn school. Yeah, no, exactly. But uh, he was catching the ball, yeah. and, and I think that's a big thing too. Uh, uh, is just diversifying the way that you get him yeah. the ball. And he talked about a little bit today. Yeah, you talk about pass protection and footwork and stuff, but he, he mentioned running routes not just out of the backfield. Uh, and, again, you know, Lane has, has 
doesn't ever want to compare him to to this guy, but you know, he brought Reggie Bush the year from year one to year two in terms of uh, in your first year, you are sort of a running back is just trying to figure out like what to do, where to be, right. where to line up. In year two, you can let him do different sorts of things, and, and that's what Reggie did at SC, and I think they're excited for Quinchon to, to be able to do more things. Don't you, don't you hate that, though? I mean, when I think of a Heisman candidate, a true Heisman candidate, it shouldn't be because he's on a national championship team or that their team's undefeated. I always think if you remove Judkins from that program last year, you know, that record's not as good as it is. Right. Uh, you know, that's an MVP for me. And do you think we ever – I mean, because there's – there's that's the one of the things if I could fix, I would fix because he's ballots coming in and, you know, late, what, September, 1st of October. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. C.J. Stroud won the Heisman for somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you think it'll ever? Do you think it'll ever change? No, and that it sucks yeah. because I think part of it too is uh, I'm a West Coast guy. We don't we don't stay up that late for all of, uh, <laughs> for all of the games, right? Uh, you know, and, and even it's vice versa too. With um, you know, if there's a good player on the West Coast, yeah, uh, good point. You know, you know, Caleb Williams was able to, you know, he was in the spotlight SC and stuff, but a lot of people didn't get to watch his games, yeah, uh, yeah. and. And so I, I think it's 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 going to be hard. Um, I can't remember the last time like a a player that wasn't on like a, a top ten New Year's Six team won it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like even you know Tebow won it. That wasn't one of the better Florida teams, but yeah. they had just won the championship and they won mm-hmm. it the next year. So it's like well, it's Florida. They're going to be fine. Well, he mentioned Henry, and I was just thinking of. Mark Ingram, you know, here's a guy that had Toby Gerhardt. Similar, California legend, please. Similar stats to Jenkins last year, and we're not like, oh yeah, by the way, he should be a Heisman. Man. You know? Yeah, no, it's it's true. Uh, I think if if you're looking at, I don't think there's any metric that wouldn't say that he is one of the top two or three running yeah. backs in the country. I know Michigan's got a great one. I know Rocket Sanders is a superstar. Uh, you can't tell me that there's many guys better than Quinshawn Judkins. Now, much is made about the Pete Golding hire, of course, upgrade at defensive coordinator. I don't have any doubt about that. But players matter more than coaches. I mean, Nick Saban could take over Vanderbilt. He could have Josh Heupel as his OC and Kirby Smart as his DC. Vanderbilt ain't winning the SEC next year because they don't have the players. So does Ole Miss right now have the defensive personnel with – Golden coaching them to at least not be such such a blatant uh, weakness for the team. Can they take that next step to be to, to help the overall team be competitive? Yeah, and so that's that I, I look at um, the team the year before uh, when they had that DJ Durkin, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Parcher defense, but Durkin was calling the plays. Like no one's going to pretend that defense was like incredible. Yeah, but it was good enough. It, it got <laughs> the job done, and right. I think like realistically, that's. You know, when you're going to score points, I think the way that they think they're going to score points, would you love a top five defense? Yeah, of course. But yeah. uh, you just need to be able to stop the bleeding because exactly. there were times when, uh, you know, I saw Arkansas run for four billion yards against them. <laughs> I saw, you know, uh, the air raid tear them up on the yeah. ground. Um, over the last stretch of the season, they were giving up 35 points a game. I saw a really bad Auburn team run it down their throats. I mean, it was it was bad. Um, they got in some shootouts they probably shouldn't have been in. Yeah. 
And so I think that, um, you know, Golding, I know depending on if you're a Bama fan or uh, an Ole Miss fan, you're really excited that he either left or that he's your guy now. Um, you know, I, I, I know uh, Nick Saban's always spoken really highly of him, but I know some fans had some, you know, maybe yeah. thought the defense should have been better. But I think Ole Miss fans are really excited because um, he's an established name. People yeah. know him. He's a great recruiter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, uh, you know, there's always been questions about, like, how invested is Lane, right? You know, every year we, we, we play the song and dance. Uh, last year it got very, very loud. We were dancing a lot. <laughs> um, they invested a lot in Pete Golden. That's a lot of money. That sh- He's trying to build that. Um, and so I, I think that, I, 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 listen, again, Willie Anderson's not on right. Ole Miss. He's not near as Kool-Aid McKinstry. It's yeah. just uh, you don't have those guys. They're getting better. The portal's helped. It's how you fill in gaps, and the recruiting has gotten better. Um, I think Sunterine Perkins is going to be a superstar. Um, But, uh, you know, I I, I think it'll be better. uh, I really like the linebacker they got from Louisville. Monty Montgomery, Montgomery. he's a really nice player. And so they've, again, there's, if you look at, like, the caliber of the player that was here a couple years ago to where it is now, there's no doubt that it's better. Yeah. But... Is it up to the standard of like, are you going to be Georgia and Athens with that team? I don't, you know, I don't know. And I think you could have, you know, uh, the, the the best defensive coordinator. You have Bill Belichick running that yep. defense, but if you don't have the dudes, it doesn't necessarily matter. And so, I just I don't know if they're quite there yet to have that sort of a defense. But I think I think they're going to be significantly better. Yeah. Well, last thing I got for you, Mike. Where where will you be voting Ole Miss? Because I think that's the toughest thing in the West. I mean, you could convince me of – you could tell me Ole Miss is going to be last. And, I, I mean, I, that's not where I got them, but I would buy it. You could tell me second or third, and I could see a path to that too. They're, they're a tough team to read. Where, where will you be voting Ole Miss in the West? I think I had – I was very brave for putting LSU number one. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm that's, gonna where get, I'm, that's where I'm, I'm at. I'm so brave. Uh, <laughs> I think I had Bama, and I, I am actually kind of – I'm going to regret this. I'm high on A&M. <laughs> um, that's never turned out bad for anybody. Um, I think I had them fourth. I'm kind of it's kind of a toss up for with them in Arkansas uh-huh. yeah. for me, um, just because um, Arkansas is always kind of a hard team to get a grasp on too because they're kind of inconsistent. One yeah. week they look like a top ten team, and then yep. another week not so much. Um, but I, I think they're. I think they're right now a, a middle of the division team. I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think there's a lot of moving pieces in the middle of that division. Like you, yeah. could, you, you I could talk myself into Auburn, yeah, if things go right, mm-hmm. being number four because that's just it's Hugh Freeze. He's you know <laughs> he's he's a good coach. They've got some talented guys. Like I, you could talk me into it, yeah. Um, and I, there's a, there's a lot of teams I could talk myself into, right below, Bama, LSU, and Bama. Like at anything after that, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think Ole Miss is one of those teams that, uh, you know, if the defense just does better, they're going to be in a pretty good spot. They could go anywhere from from the third place team to to down on the bottom. Again, it's it's what makes covering this team so entertaining because. I have no idea <laughs> yeah. what it's going to be. People ask me, I'm just like, man, if, if I knew that, 
I'd be buying lotto <laughs> tickets. Yep. All right, before you go, tell the audience, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me, for better or worse, on Twitter.com, <laughs> at Michael L. Katz, K-A-T-Z, and at uh, the Daily Journal's website, djournal.com. All right, then we're going to round it out here, finish the week, these Mondo shows, SEC Media Day rewinds. we got two kind of SEC-themed ones. We're going to hit on a lot of teams here with J.D. Pacall from On3. First time on the show. Really, really appreciated J.D. He was probably the nicest guy at Media Days. So i got to hand it to him. Uh, he was a hell of a nice guy. Really appreciate J.D. giving us time. And uh, we got some things cooking. He may be back on the show before long. So uh, I think you guys are really going to appreciate right, this. You got me? I got you loud and clear. I got you, Mav. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're here with J.D. Uh, JD Picard. I'm sorry. From on three, first time on the show. Wanted to have you on for a long time. How's it going, J.D.? Man, I'm fired up to be on here with you. I've been following you all for a long time. You all do tremendous work, so it's a blast to be here with you all at SEC Media Day. Yeah, and it's, it's wild. We were talking. I'm just curious how many huh? people run up to him and think you're cousin Shane, and then they're like, oh, wait, no. <laughs> no, that's not him. A couple of times. Uh, I got Grant Furking today. Someone thought I was Grant Furking. I was like, man, that's the nicest thing he's ever said to me. So, um, But if I get called cousin Shane, that would then trump that compliment. So okay. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. We've had um, – so many people from on three and we just look around and maybe it's because it's nashville based but i mean it seems like you guys are taking over yeah yeah i mean i, I feel very fortunate to have uh my wagon hitched to shannon terry i will say that much i mean just it feels like everywhere i look whenever i met something like the sc media day or the nil event just the the team that he has assembled i feel very very fortunate to be a part of and yeah i'm um, yeah, excited for what the future holds and it's just going to keep getting bigger and better you know what yeah, I believe it. I believe it, man. If history is our teacher, I believe it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, his vision and, and the way that he um, just attacks the, ex- the execution side of things is um, inspiring and obviously encouraging to, to be a part of. Yeah. yeah, and you're just like me. We were talking earlier with someone. Man, these Mississippi State fans, I don't know if you're catching it, but they are <laughs> mad as hell because you've got them last in the West too, right? Got them last, man. I mean, so, somebody's got to be last, right? right. Yeah. Somebody's got to be last. And I think I, I saw your prediction and I was like, for, for a little bit, like you read your mentions enough, you're like, man, I'm going crazy. Like yeah. I, I must be the only person that is, <laughs> that is seeing this. And I see, I'm like, all right, SC Mike's got it. Cousin Shane's got it. So yeah, man, I mean, it's just, it's so tricky in my mind to go from being in that air raid philosophy yeah. and lose double-digit guys to the portal, and now they're changing their philosophy. It's like asking a cross-country runner to go lift weights. It's like, hey, it might take some time. You might, right. you might get there, but like right now this probably isn't the way that it's going to work. But it, so. Don't you think it's more about not so much Mississippi State being bad, it's just that second half of, of the West is just – It's got, brutal. Yeah, it's brutal, man. Like somebody has to be there. Well, somebody's going to be toward the top. So would you be blown away if Mississippi State was, let's say, the – third fourth best team in the west no it wouldn't, it wouldn't blow me away and i think the margins too are, are so thin when you just look across the sec i mean we thought lsu had a chance at the college football playoff towards the end of last year and they just get rolled up on by texas a&m and yeah. i was talking with somebody earlier i think it's just a testament to the league and the town across the board and the coaches across the board like you, you got to bring it every single week otherwise yeah. you're on the wrong side of things so <laughs> it, it wouldn't surprise me but i think just as we stand right now in july there's a lot that I don't love about Mississippi State roster-wise. Yeah. So. And I don't know about you, but for me, when we're doing these projections, I mean, who in the heck knows? And that's that's the most yeah. fun part of it. Because yeah. if I knew exactly how it was going to break down, I probably wouldn't watch football. I'm going to Vegas. Right. I'm going to <laughs> Vegas. I'm cashing in, man. I'm but, getting an island somewhere. But for me, when I do these projections, it's largely based on unknowns. What What is known and what is unknown. And to me, Mississippi State, 
is, yes, they bring back a lot of experience, but not in this system, not with this coaching staff. So it's, it's just so hard to predict what they're going to do on the field. No, without question. I mean, I think that's why we love it so much, right, is every single Saturday – yeah. There's so much variance, so much parity. And we got 18 and 22-year-olds deciding this thing, and we're trying yeah. to predict it as best we can in July. And it's like, man, I don't know, roll the dice. I mean, heck, TCU was playing for a national title last year. They missed a bowl game the year before. Yeah. It's like, brother, yeah. if we knew, we would not be having this kind of event, and we would probably not all have jobs. So I'm grateful that there is the variance and the parity. But, yeah, it's uh, – Hell, there's five teams. We don't even know who the quarterback's going to be. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like, and some of those teams, they don't even know who their quarterback's going to exactly. be. So, uh, But, yeah, it's always fun in July to step into the batter's box, take yeah. a few swings, and, you know, find out if you made contact in November. If the SEC is going to produce a team like that TCU from last year, maybe not quite – didn't, well, there is probably one that didn't make a bowl that could make a run uh, like that. Hey. Who is that? And I, I think I just led you into it. No, I think A&M is, yeah. is definitely one of those teams. Just, yeah. I mean, from the way they're built, I mean, from the, the four and five stars they have on that roster, mm-hmm. everybody kind of wants to poke fun at what happened last year. Right. I mean, it's fair. It's yeah. it's definitely warranted. I mean, to have that much talent and to underachieve the way they did, I think all the punchlines are fair. But to the exact same token, like, hey, you poke that bear, if they right. get things figured out now, Bobby Petrino, like we, we may be having a different conversation here later in this season. And uh, to me, the, the, the thought process for me is like, it's like a, a chiropractor appointment bringing in Bobby Petrino. It's right. like, man, you don't feel so good. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to walk. <laughs> and then you go in there, you get a little alignment, and you're good to go. So that, that might be Texas A&M. Another team that I'm, I'm curious why they're not getting more buzz, the way we talked about Kentucky last year with Will Levis and all yeah. the NFL hype he had. And I'm looking at Devin Leary, I'm like, Man, from, from a resume standpoint, he's thrown for more touchdowns, more yards, less interceptions yeah. if you look at their best seasons. And I'm like, man, give, it, give Devin Leary some more of that Absolutely. Will Levis treatment. You know what I'm saying? Got so Cohen. they got a hell of a receiver room. I, I think – Demi yeah. Sumo. Yeah. Absolutely. Mean, we'll so, see. Hey, well, on the flip side of that coin, who should tamper expectations? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair question. I think, I think the, the boom and bust is so high for me with South Carolina. Yeah. Um, Spencer Rattler – so much is made of him, and it's, it's fair, too. I mean, the, the way that he, you know, I don't want to say burned out, but the way that he transitioned out of Oklahoma, I think that lends itself to, yeah. to you know, probably inviting some blame when things don't go right. But, I mean, they didn't protect him well last year. He got right. sacked 31 times, and um, they couldn't run the ball well last year. They're like 102nd in the country in terms of yards per game. And so I'm like, okay, not protecting him. Yeah. We're not helping him with the run game, but we're, we're going to blame him when things don't go well. So, all right, right. I mean – that's on y'all, but uh, if if they can can add some pieces around and him. throw in a coordinator that's never called a play in college 100%, football, hundred percent, yeah. So now he's the new coordinator. I mean, the the whole situation in South Carolina is fascinating to me. Um, also, they, they couldn't stop the run. So there, there's kind of that, you know potential for them to go win eight games but also if, if a couple things break differently for them and if they can't stop the run maybe a different conversation in november for them as well you what is south carolina man. i mean <laughs> did you get that <laughs> <laughs> what what has happened if georgia does not win the east how how is that even possible i think two things would happen i think one you see a massive drop off unexpectedly at the quarterback position like carson beck is just a version that none of us saw coming uh the other thing i think would be they would have gotten away from their offensive Identity, and we talked about it a little bit on our show this morning. But they they kind of have this this formula that that's worked for them in the past, and and the, the work this past season. They ran the ball fifty three percent of the time last year, over two hundred yards a game. Like they were and have been the bully. Yeah. And so I'm just I'm curious. Temptation's a funny thing. If if you don't see Carson Beck out there, throw a couple frozen ropes in practice, and yeah. you start to think like, hey, 
maybe we should go a little more 11 personnel. Maybe we do take a tight end off the field. And uh, I just think that's a slippery slope. And so if, if for some reason, I'm not predicting this, if they were to miss the college football playoff or, or not end up in Atlanta, um, I think something like that would have happened. And I think also you see those teams we talked about with Kentucky and y'all's Tennessee Vols, man. I mean, Joe yeah. Milton's got the juice, and I think he ends up being as advertised and more than that if they end up beating Georgia. Yeah. What do you think about the Vols? Do you think they can plug like and play balls, and keep, keep, it, keep it rolling under Heupel? I love Josh Heupel. I love Joe Milton. And I think the, the interesting thing is that the defense gets so much flack and the secondary so much is made of it, but it's like for how often they were out there, for how many plays they were having to defend, it's like, yeah, those, those stats may be a little bit more on the higher side when you look at those numbers. Um, so if, if the secondary can just be improved a little bit and Joe Milton yeah. can, can pick up where they left off last year, I mean, just in terms of what God gave Joe Milton, I don't know if there's another quarterback in the country <laughs> that has those physical giftings. Like, right. God might have just kind of spilled a little bit more of that arm talent <laughs> sauce on him. But, no, man, they, they've got a lot of potential and a, a huge boom factor without a doubt. And he seems to be doubt. handling the spotlight well. I mean, I, I was afraid of that. I mean, that's that is part of a mental game, and I was afraid that that was going to get in there. Do you think that plays a role? or I mean, or do you think he just has embraced that? I mean, it's, it's so fascinating because you look at his career. I mean, the guy was benched twice. Yeah. And he came from a big program in Michigan. That There was already that spotlight there. So I'm curious to hear y'all's thought on this when he said, listen, I don't lose in Florida. We're, we're not losing to Florida. I mean, did y'all like that? No, I, I was fired up by that. Well, I'm not aware of him winning in Florida. So uh, <laughs> let's pull that back. We were just talking with some kids. Uh, you guys over there at KSR, they came over here, and they were asking kind of the same deal. And I said, that's an opportunity – for Milton to for the fan base to turn on him, yeah. Because I don't think Florida is going to be very good. Yeah. So if he's running his mouth and he has a multi turnover game and he's the reason Tennessee's you know dream season comes shattered. Now the one game's not going to define you, but if you're losing to Florida, you're probably not going to beat Alabama, Georgia, maybe not even Kentucky on the road, South Carolina. I mean, there's a lot of traps yeah. on that schedule. It's almost a must win, and him opening his mouth makes it even more so in my mind. Yeah, I, I get that, but a little bit, it could be a launch pad too. You know, if he does go down there and beats the shit out of the Florida Gators, then all of a sudden mm. we're building statues and we're saying, hey, we're back, <laughs> baby. We don't need, you know. A lot so, of number seven jerseys are selling there. Absolutely. So I, I think it is a pivotal matchup, but. You know, it was last year for Hooker, too. You know, mm-hmm. I think that game got lost because of all the great games that followed the Tennessee Volunteers, you yeah. know. But it was that last-second victory that kind of launched Tennessee into that, that trajectory of, uh, hey, we've made it. Yeah, going to the swamp now, yeah. too. That's something. <laughs> what do you make of the Gators? You think uh, Billy Napier? Because I just don't – I don't like – I've seen it so many times in the SEC. We're going to do the Alabama-Georgia thing, but we're going to do it now, I know he's killing it right now in recruiting, but we're going to do what they do, but we're going to do it with lesser talent. And I, I realize this class right now is not lesser talent, but they, they're not there. And last time I checked, guess who's right there with them? Georgia and Alabama. So yeah. it, it's not like they're going to surpass them in terms of talent. I just don't believe in trying to do what Georgia and Alabama are doing, and I don't see how that's going to beat them. How are you going to catch up to them and beat them? At the, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think the tough part with that is – for Georgia and Bama to be on their level, you have had to stack top three classes for multiple years in a row. And the tough part is if you're trying to do the Georgia-Bama philosophy, it's probably not going to work on the front end. And so you're telling me you got to have it, you know, a five-year window to get it done, but you, those first two, three years aren't going to work. Well, college football, yeah. you, you don't get three years to figure out how to win. Like, you better win in the first couple of years with the transfer portal now. So um, I, I think for Billy Napier in 2023, I'm just curious to see – 
how they're able to lean on that run game. Because I think it probably gets looked over a little bit too much. Like they got two of the best backs in the country oh, yeah. that averaged over five yards a carry. And so if they can run the football and take some pressure off Graham Mertz, like just everything as a whole will be better in Gainesville. Like economy is going to boom, weather's going to be better, birds are going to be singing, Joe Milton, or excuse me, not Joe Milton, Graham Mertz will have more open passing lanes and uh, it'll take the defense off the field. So that really is the foundation that my hope would be built on from a Florida fan. Can we run the football and can we do it consistently enough to keep the defense to have to commit more resources uh, in that front seven. What about your concern with, with the optimism? Because a lot of people are pumped up about this recruiting class for Florida Gators, but what does that look like on your fourth loss or fifth loss? You know, I mean, how many times have these kids turned? I mean, they're kids in high school, and all of a sudden they change their mind. They don't want to be a part of this because you better damn believe every SEC coach out there is reminding them that he may or may not be on a hot seat. So And throw the portal into that too. Yeah. Because as soon as guys get there, sometimes if it doesn't work out, they leave. Yeah, yeah. so how, how pivotal is it for Napier and, and company to have a good season? Not a great, mm. but at least a good season. This no, year. I think you hit it on the head, man. I think it's got to be trajectory. Like, yeah. hey, we, we won six games or we won seven games. Like, this thing isn't, isn't booming. That's why we need you here. Why, why yeah. do we need you to, to sign on the dotted line here and bring your talents to Gainesville? Um, I think that the one thing that I, I think about when I talk about this class is I think a lot of these kids understand that Florida's in this kind of transitional period. Yeah. And so you would hope that the kids that are committing are saying, okay, we understand that once we get there, like, it's on. But, yeah. but, but we got to understand that it, it might be a process. We're going to be a part of that change. And, and I was a part of that when I played college football. I committed to a team that was 1-9 in nine in the Ivy League in Cornell, and everybody <laughs> in my class was like, okay, like, we know what we're signing up for here. I mean, we don't have a lot of kids going and playing in the NFL, so maybe it's a different, different ingredient yeah. if you're going to come into Florida. But it's like, hey, we're coming here to try and turn this thing around and get us back to neutral. So um, I would hope that's the mindset if you're a Florida Gator commit at this point. I'm still well, upset Cornell never sent me an offer, Mike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Where exactly is Cornell? It's a great question. You ever seen The Office? Yeah. Andy Bernard? Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Uh, uh, upstate New okay, York. Okay, makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Just outside of SEC <laughs> <laughs> what when the hell do you make of Ole Miss? Because that's a team every year. I don't know. I mean, they could be great. They could be terrible. With the flux of, of the transfer portal, portal king and all, uh, I'm, I'm big on Lane Kiffin. I think this is a breakout year for Jackson Dart. We think Judkins may be the best running back in the country. Yeah. So yeah. there's pieces there. They could surprise a lot of people. Unfortunately for them, they catch Georgia out of the East this year. But what's your thoughts on Ole Miss? It feels like for them they're the, a, a solution at quarterback away from being really dangerous in the, in the West. Like yeah. if they're able to have Jackson Dart progress and, and be able to take that next step in the RPO system, like, all right, we, we may have a different conversation. And if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I think there's two ways to look at it right now and, in, in, you know, going in the fall camp. Because it sounds like Jackson Dart's kind of the front runner. Nothing's been, been mm-hmm. going on during yeah. spring to, to sway that too much from what I've heard at least. Um the two thoughts are, okay, well, we brought in two cats that, that couldn't beat out Jackson Dart. Right. So we didn't we, we missed in the portal is what you're thinking. Or you're thinking, hey, Jackson Dart now kind of bowed up and found a way to defend his job, and maybe we got something here with Jackson Dart, yeah. you know. So bottom line, if, if there is Darty season going on in Oxford, like Ole Miss is in a good spot. Because, yeah. no, I mean, like you said, they got Quinshawn Judkins. Like, yeah. Yeah. it's a bad dude running the football for <laughs> you. So I, I'm excited to see what they are. But – They'll probably still put them below an LSU and, b- and below a, a Alabama in the West, but I think they'll be a factor. They're going to catch somebody. I don't know if they win the West, they're going to catch somebody, though. Well, Kiffin may have discovered a cheat code. I've heard him say it before. We bring in these transfers, they can't leave, not without sitting out. So <laughs> I'm just adding transfer quarterback after tra- They can't leave, they so can't they have leave. to stay. That's right. Uh, Checkmate. You know, I yeah. think that's genius. But what about Missouri? There's 
lot of hope and optimism that this could be a turnaround year. We saw Drinking here yesterday. He was kind of muted. I think he was, I think he's trying not to run his mouth because he knows they, they haven't backed it up yet, and he doesn't want anything he says to be used against him in a court of law here. But uh, <laughs> do you think Mizzou can, uh, you know, I'm not saying win the East or anything, but show significant signs of progress? I'm curious about the quarterback position. Cousin Stan, I know you're high on, on, on yeah. the Zoom, man. I'm, I'm curious about their offensive philosophy next year. Is it going to be Brady Cook? Is it going to yeah. be Jake Garcia? And it sounds like he's turning over the offense. Uh, he, I mean, hired in an offensive coordinator. Like, mm-hmm. I think that in itself is a very mature move. And, I mean, he's a grown man, so I don't yeah. think he needs to worry about being mature. But, I mean, that's a very self-aware move to bring in someone else to, to call the offense when that's kind of been your, your MO throughout your career. Um, and I just I don't know about Missouri. The same way that you feel about Ole Miss, I feel about Missouri right now. I'm just curious to see who's playing quarterback and what they look like offensively. Well, it felt like ownership too when he was out here. Like, hey, this is the time. Yeah. You know, we're gonna we're we're gonna do it this year, and and that's why some folks have him on a hot seat. Do you think if if Mizzou falls short, maybe you know six wins, five wins, misses a bowl, do you think Eli's the first coach out of the SEC this year? Man, that's tough. I'm trying to think who else in the SEC could go besides him, but I think if you're looking across the SEC landscape, he's probably the the best odds for you if you're betting on someone yeah. to get fired. I would be surprised if he were to get fired after this year. Yeah. I, I think they're going to give him some time. I think they understand that in you know at, at Missouri, what you're up against in the SEC is just it's a tough deal, and you got to right. give someone time to build it up. So um, if we're having the same conversation, you know, the same time next year, maybe there's a different conver- you know different answer to that conversation, yeah. but. Yeah. Um, no, I, th- I think he's probably safe for this year, in my opinion, if they, if they were to make a bowl game. Yeah. Who, did, who did you have first besides Georgia? I mean, Alabama. Way, okay, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alabama. I mean, I, well, so you're wrong, too. No. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, with, I'm right there with you. I love it. My scenario is that Bama wins out, Nick Saban walks off, you know, into that sunset as a, what is it? That would officially give him the most championships, right? Um, I think he's tied with Bear right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, so, hey, short list. Sa- this does happen. Who takes Saban's job? Wow. <laughs> got to look at Dabo, right? Oh, you got to you, you at least see, like, <laughs> hey, maybe you get a, you yeah, get a little text message, get a little FaceTime. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Hey, Dabo, going to come play from the – or yeah. come coach the alma mater. Man, I don't know. That is a that is a tough one. Yeah. I'd love I think to you got to look. Yeah. It wouldn't be Kiffin, but it would, I, I, yeah. that would be entertaining, to say the least. That would be a Netflix special. But who would want it? You know, I, I mean, I see Sark floating around. Yeah. Would you really leave Texas to follow the largest shadow in college football history? That's tough. I, I don't know. I think it, that job would be sexy and would be exciting, but there's a lot of people that aren't willing to take that because they would be following the great. And where do you, I mean, because you don't go hire the young hotshot who's a no. coordinator at a, at a Power 5 school. No. Like, you got to go for most proven commodity. And, I mean, that, that pool in itself, like the names that you could draw from, yeah. feels pretty limited. But, I mean – you wish you could promote from within. Yeah. Like you yeah. Like you yeah. had a protege You wish there. Kirby was yeah. still there. Absolutely. That's what you wish. <laughs> I, I got the perfect one with Hugh and Auburn. Dan Mullen. Get, oh, bring wow. back that rivalry. I love Dan Mullen. I, I, he didn't get <laughs> yeah. it done in Florida. But, all right, J.D., I really appreciate your time. What, one thing before you go, give us your hottest take here heading into the SEC oh, season. Man. We need the clips. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm not, I'm, I tried my best not to be a big hot take guy. Yeah. Uh, my hottest take for you would be at the end of the season, when it's all said and done, I think Joe Milton's a top five quarterback in the country. Wow. I, th- oh, I, think, okay. I think the system itself is set up for him to succeed. I think they're going to let him play to his strengths. 
I mean, they got a lot around him. I mean, Dante Thornton, Squirrel yeah. Why. I mean, Brew McCoy. Like, we go down the list. They got some dudes now. Yeah. So McCoy's I think going to break break out. He's going to be a stud, yeah. man. Yeah. So I think when you look across the board, I really like where Tennessee sits, and I like his uh, his position. And now is he in New York? We'll see if Tennessee wins enough games, but uh, I think he's going to be a dude. Cornell kicking in, <laughs> getting into my heart right there. <laughs> Before you go, JD, tell the audience where can they find you? I appreciate it, man. You find us anywhere that you want to consume college football content. We're on podcast, the Hard Count with JD Pacquel. We're on the On3 YouTube channel. We're live twice a week. But, no, I mean, I appreciate you all having us on. You all do a tremendous job. You all are truly one of the voices in this space, and it's a, it's a blast to be on with you guys. Cool. Absolutely. Thank you, thank thank you, you very much. Time. All right, so thank you, JD. Really, really great stuff. As usual, if you're not watching his stuff on On3, their YouTube channel, he's got a big-time future in this business. So it was an honor having JD on the show. And last but not least, to round out the week, this guy, I love him. Chad Withrow from OutKick, host of Hot Mike. The points he makes, you know, he he's not afraid to uh, hurt people's feelings if it's the truth. Uh, let's kick it over to Chad Withrow talking some SEC and Shane for some reason. Wanted to talk NFL with Chad. <laughs> All right, we're here with Chad Withrow, Outkick, Hot Mike. I was just on set with you about, a, what was it, a week ago, down at SEC Media Days, but you're still doing your show down the street. You're everywhere, man. Well, I, I got to say that uh, Davey Hudson, our producer, really failed you in that interview because <laughs> I go and do a podcast with you, Mike, and you have uh, a, a fine bourbon waiting on me when we sit down. <laughs> and we do a show in a distillery and uh, a place that's uh, a brewery, and we've got nothing for you. Yeah, so uh, I was disappointed. I, I blame Davey fully <laughs> for that decision to not have that set up and ready to go, but we did go grab a beer right after. So that was, that was fun. Yeah, I wish they'd let us have beers here. I think it would – wouldn't it open up the coaches and get we'd get more entertaining comments, don't you think? We definitely need like a, a, a bourbon and ball type session with some yeah. of these coaches. <laughs> um, I, I just talked with Zach Arnett of, of Mississippi State. That is a, a football, football, football type guy. I, I think he could open up a little bit more with a little bit of bourbon. So, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think that would be a great setup for everyone. Have everyone you, involved would have more fun. Right. Is, who, who, let me ask you, out of all the SEC coaches now, who would you want to have a, a oh, glass with? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, Coach O is it, always a safe it would have been It yeah. would have been Mike Leach, right? <laughs> oh, like yeah. That's uh, the yeah. emeritus answer is Mike Leach of all time. Lane Kiffin? Would definitely be up there. But, I mean, I've hung out with Lane Kiffin a couple times, and he's one of those guys. He's so smart that it's almost difficult to hang out with him in a social setting, just a little bit different, right? And he's not exactly his online persona when you're around him. Um, I I listened to Kirby Smart today. I think he'd be fun to grab grab drinks with. Man, it's a a great question. I I don't know that one name really jumps to the top of mind that would be the guy you want to grab bourbon with. so I'll go since I just saw him, and I think he's a good talker and he's got a good personality. I'll, I'll go with Kirby Smart. So what, what, now you, you you got us curious. What was it like hanging out with Lane Kiffin? What Can you set the scene with if you can share any of that? Well, just being around, um, uh, I don't want to set too much of the scene, but I'll, a little bit, uh, just a, a dinner setting. Mm. He, he's just he's very intelligent mm-hmm. and one of those guys that he's kind of on another level at times with what he's seeing and what he's thinking. And he's got a very dry sense of humor. He's hilarious on Twitter, right? Hilarious in, in written form. But when he gives you the quick one-liner, you know, it's not – he's not maybe as gregarious as some one would think. That's why he comes to mind for who you'd want to grab a bourbon with, but it's not the first person I would jump to. So <laughs> I, I, think, I think Kirby Smart is my answer, but 
Um, I'll get back to you. I'll continue to think about it. Maybe I'll come up with a better answer. <laughs> so it sounds like you were at Twin Peaks. Tw- Twin Peaks. Uh, blink if that's true. Home, home <laughs> of the uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. home of the what? Like the 28 degree beer or whatever it is. Yeah, that's the perfect spot for me and Lane to hang out. Have you picked up anything from uh, all the interviews that maybe you, you were unaware of uh, heading into SEC media days? So we interviewed Gary Danielson earlier, and I asked him. I started the question by saying are you on social media? And he just said, I I know exactly where this is going. And he said, yeah, I'm aware of some of the backlash, you know, during games and (laughs) that I'm an Alabama fan or I I favor this team over the other one. And he gave a really good answer. He said, I'm fine. He's like, I played quarterback in the NFL. You know, we lost a lot in Detroit. So I've, I've heard it all. I've seen it all. And I'm not overly active on social media, so it doesn't bother me. But he said, what bothers me about that is after a game, our crew works so hard, yeah. and there's so many people involved. And he said all of them will get around and go to see the online reaction. Anybody in the truck, it's all about me. Yeah. right? He said everything <laughs> is negative about me. And he said I hate that once the game is over, it's people hating me and not pointing to the entire broadcast team, yeah. not pointing to anything else. But can you believe you know, Gary Danielson messed this name, name up or that he likes Alabama right. more than Tennessee or whoever they're playing? That was his big takeaway from it, which was an interesting answer. I never really thought of it that way. But he was more concerned about that than anything else. Which is kind of crazy, this being a transition year with Texas and Oklahoma and all this other stuff that's going on in the background. A lot of people forgetting about CBS final run here so hey I, I let it off by saying man is this bittersweet walking around here and he kind of laughed he said yeah that's it's it's been a little weird because this is the last go around yeah. at sec media days for him and i asked him are you going to be the big 10 game of the week voice and he just said well i'm under contract with cbs so i hope to keep calling college football you yeah. know that, that's what i want to be doing but i don't think they know what's going to happen with that big 10 game so yeah. i would assume it's going to be the same broadcast crew doing that, that Big Ten game of the week now also. But, yeah, it's a, it's a different era now. And I look around at you know, ESPN, they're laying so many people off. Right. We could sit and compare TV deals when it happened. Big Ten has diversified their portfolio. Yeah. You know, they're everywhere now, but they're not on ESPN. Right. Well, SEC is only on ESPN for the most part and ABC. But now when you look at the state of the business and where Disney is and their thoughts of ESPN – and where you could be on all of those different networks, who got the better end of the deal? I would argue the Big Ten probably had the smarter deal right now because they're on a number of different platforms. Although, get back to me during college basketball season when they're not, there's not a single Big Ten game on, on, the S, on ESPN. That's going to be a problem because that's right. where people go for college basketball. Right. Have you had to go to any kind of uh, counseling or rehab now that uh, Will Levis is likely the future starting quarterback <laughs> for the Tennessee Titans? I- I've never seen a therapist. Anyone who knows me or has spent any time uh, with me uh, would, would, tell me that, would tell you that I would need to see a therapist before. <laughs> but that's one that that nearly made me call a shrink and, and go see someone for some help. We, uh, so we're, we're hosting a party. By the way, you guys are, are welcome to join uh, tomorrow night at 6th and Peabody with, with Outkick. There's going to be a lot of SEC types there from 6 to 11 p.m. Parmalee, the band's going to play. DJ's going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'd Great love to, setup. We'd love Great to have you guys there. there. We, we invited Will Levis to the party. So um, Hutton has been in contact with Will Levis. He's met him. He knows him. Met him at Top Golf of all places, with some Titans people. And he says, like, Withrow, I'm telling you, you'd love this guy. But he talked about stepbrothers 
being is his favorite movie. <laughs> He's got a sense of humor that you would you would be attached to that you would like. So I'll give it a chance. So if yeah. he shows up at the party, I'm willing to go up and say, look, man, no one in Nashville has been more upset about the Titans drafting you than me. I'll own it right now. But I hear you're a good dude and a funny guy. And we'll see where it goes from there. Maybe I get punched. Maybe he laughs it off. Maybe we can move on in our relationship. But of all the things the Titans needed, having to reach for a quarterback in the second round, yeah. after reaching on a quarterback in the third round the year before, that was just not that was not the quarterback I wanted to see, and that was not the position more than anything else that I wanted to see. Hey, I know this is SEC football, but I want to ask, what about Hopkins? Are you excited? I, I am excited. Now, if we want to go and look at things in retrospect, I think it's easy to say, man, John Robinson should have just paid A.J. Brown. Yeah. Because the opportunity cost of having to draft a receiver in the first round of Traylon Burks with yeah. that trade and getting rid of A.J. Brown, combined with now two years, $26 million to DeAndre Hopkins, well, you should have just paid A.J. Brown, right? Yeah. You wouldn't have needed that move. But given where they were and what Rand Carthon inherited with that wide receiver room, I love it. Um, it's a big win for Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon. It's a big win for Ryan Tannehill. Because yeah. DeAndre Hopkins is their number one receiver now. Right. And Traylon Burks can ease into a, an eventual number one role as the number two guy. And with Chigakonkwo, who can do some things at tight end and be a playmaker, and then Derrick Henry, of course. Right. If the offensive line could just be average. Yeah. They were atrocious a year ago. They're going to have a pretty good offense, and we know the defense is good. So I think the Titans elevated themselves from very mid before that move to a team that I think should win the AFC South, yeah. even with Jacksonville's improvement. I think they're a division champion. Now, what does that mean in the playoffs? Probably not much because yeah. I'm not going to put them against those teams with great quarterbacks, Chiefs, Bills, Ravens even. But uh, Cincinnati's another one in the AFC. It's just a brutal conference. But I do think it's a team that, that can win that division now. So I yeah. like the move. I haven't heard your reaction yet to uh, NCAA kind of going easy, to, depending on how you see it, for Tennessee. I, I just love the fact personally that all the SEC, the rest, they're just – up in arms that Tennessee did not get a bowl ban and, and got off easy. What's your reaction to what the NCAA levied? I think it's about the best possible scenario for Tennessee and what happened. Now, $8 million is not nothing. That's a big fine. That's the biggest fine in the history of the NCAA. So that, that's a steep fine, but I do like the rationale they use, and they said, I think that's basically the equivalent of the money they got from the last two bowl games, Music City Bowl and Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. So they're saying – you played in those bowl games, you did well, fork that money over. Yeah. That's going to be the consequence for playing in those games. The scholarship loss is not a big deal because they've already docked themselves 16 right. scholarships. They'll have two more this year. So basically you're looking at playing with 83 instead of 85 players for the next four or five years. But, I mean, with NIL, they're going to have as many scholarship players as they want. Mm-hmm. They, they can go get a three-star guy from the state of Tennessee that really wants to play for the Vols, and they could be a preferred walk-on. But NIL can pay their way, and they could be on full scholarship. So I, I really don't think it's been that big of a penalty. But I like what they did, and I would say that about anyone. Punish those that broke the rules and got caught and yeah. not the coaches and players moving forward. Um, if you want to go after the university, fine with that. But I, I would say that about any other program. Not to uh, Bowl bands to me with a coaching staff when everyone that, that did all, had all the wrongdoings happen. When they got fired, doing that to Josh Heupel seems overly punitive. Right. So I, I like where the NCAA landed. I think they got creative with the fine. But, yeah, I think it's good news for Tennessee. Now Josh Heupel can come here tomorrow and say it's behind us. 
We don't have to answer questions about yeah. that in recruiting. We, we know what it, what it is now moving forward, and that's what they've wanted since they, they took over in Knoxville. That's pretty wild. I've never really thought about that, that NIL scholarship. You know, yeah. I, I mean, is this happening? I mean. Well, let's put it this way. Josiah Jordan James at Tennessee is a starter. Right. And has played a lot of basketball. And I think been like an all, uh, honorable mention all-SEC player or third team at some point in his career. He was technically going to be a walk-on this upcoming year as a fifth-year player. Now, if you think that he's not having his school paid for right. in some way through NIL, then that's that's just one example. Uh, now he's on scholarship because the kid who came from Harvard got homesick and left. But right. that's an example in basketball. But it's going to be very easy to accomplish in, in football as well. And what does that do for already so much momentum with Tennessee and Heupel and they're winning big, the fun offense. Now they have this cloud over them. Does that raise even more the, the, the ceiling for what this program can accomplish under Heupel? I really believe that this year will define the floor for Tennessee, okay? And what I mean by that is this is their first transition from a great quarterback for that offense in Hendon Hooker to another quarterback. And it's going to show if it really matters, right? If you just get in that offense and you're okay at quarterback. Joe Milton has a chance to be better than okay. Don't get me wrong. But I think now that we're transitioning between quarterbacks for Tennessee – we're going to see the floor. I think the floor is probably eight, nine wins for this program. I really do because of that offense. Is the ceiling a national championship? That, that remains to be seen. I, I think so. I think they're a team that with the points they're going to put up and the style they're going to play, they're going to contend for some extended playoff spots when they go to 12 teams. Right. So that's what I'm watching for this year. Where does Tennessee fall or do they fall at all? You know, is it down from 11 wins a year ago to nine? Is it down from 11 wins to six or seven? This will, to me, define the floor for Tennessee. If it's nine or ten wins, I think you can probably pencil Tennessee in as a nine or ten win team with a chance to go to a playoff once it extends pretty regularly. If not, then we got to reassess. Do you think NIL really helps? I I think people assumed Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State would just dominate that as well. But I would argue – Tennessee, A&M, Texas, teams that are dying, the fans that are dying to win again, I think it gives them somewhat of a competitive. It may not be sustained, but I think it gives them an advantage in the NIO world. I, I do too. I, I think the, the motivation is higher there than some of those programs you mentioned. And I think that just that Tennessee has been on the cutting edge with the Spire group. And I, I'm buddies with a number of those guys, and, and they've done a great job, and they've been very creative. I do think that helps Tennessee, but I also think that Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State will not be outbid. Yeah. If they really want something to happen and yeah. it comes down to an issue of money, which I don't think that it, the sole issue of money, has it's not been as prevalent as some might think with decisions guys are making. But I do think if that was the case, then you know if the tie goes to the team that's won multiple national championships recently yeah. and it's all about money, Georgia or Alabama is going to be able to bid with Tennessee and those schools also. But I do think that Tennessee being seen as a cutting-edge, top-of-the-line NIL destination with Spire Sports, I, I think that's helped them in, in all sports, not just football. Yeah. Well, i got to ask you, so last thing for you, Chad, really appreciate your time. You host Hop Mike. Not necessarily the hottest seat now, but who's getting fired first in the SEC? Because I feel like that's a question you love to answer. I, I would say um, Eli Drinkwitz could be in trouble. Yeah. If I'm having to guess someone that if it just craters, 
that could be in some trouble. It's it's hard to define the expectation level at Missouri, though. Mm-hmm. You know, if this was Auburn, as an example, you know going in, uh, you know, like we knew last year with Brian Harson, that it would be a very, very hot seat. But I think we, we're in sort of uncharted territory right now where there's not a lot of programs you can point to easily and say this is definitely going to happen. Mm-hmm. A&M would be the one. Yeah. But, I mean, that contract – it's such an albatross that you can't. I mean, they are just. That's all they can hope do is hope. If Texas that Jimbo wins the Fisher Big 12, and Bobby Petrino, that buyout's going to get paid quick. Yeah, it, it could. And look, they have the money ultimately to do it, but it's still, it's a it's a difficult situation because they put all their chips in, right? Yeah. I kind of think of Scott Frost at Nebraska. The thought was, man, if it doesn't work for Scott Frost here at Nebraska, who can make it work? Right. And where do we go from there? That's sort of the thought when they hire a guy who's won a national title. And they paid them all that money in Jimbo Fisher at A&M. So I think they're in a tough spot. But I, I do. I think I've talked to you about this before, Mike. Um, I think A&M's a sleeper team in the SEC West. I think their floor is – I mean, I'm sorry, their ceiling's very high this year for what they can accomplish. So I think everybody's going to survive. Shockingly, everyone's going to keep their job this year. <laughs> all right. Hey, before you go, tell our audience, where can they find your work? Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, uh, Outkick.com. You can watch there. Go to the YouTube page, Outkick Hot Mike. You can find us there or the Outkick YouTube page. Follow me on Twitter at the Chad Withrow. Uh, we're on in Nashville on 94.9 The Fan FM. We're a little bit of everywhere. We're on multiple radio stations. You can find us a lot of spots. So just use the old Google machine, and you'll probably <laughs> find us quickly. All right. I appreciate you, Chad. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, so that's going to do it for this week's shows. Uh, I apologize to anyone that, uh, you know, maybe these are too long. I mean, it's going to take a damn month for for a lot of y'all to listen to all this, but wanted to throw out all these great interviews we had at SEC Media Days. Fall camp is here for a number of SEC teams already, and by this time next week, they'll all be in camp, all 14, really 16, we're gonna, we got our eye on Texas and Oklahoma this year, too. Don't forget. But Cousin Shane, back on the show all next week. We've got some exciting things planned. Uh, man, football right around the corner. A month's time from now, SEC football will be kicking off. We can't wait. Want to appreciate, want to say thanks to each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.